Greetings, my friend. I have some big news. I am completely rebranding the podcast. I'm making a massive jump in my life and career as an entrepreneur. And I have felt like a long time, like a hermit crab who's outgrown its shell and was searching for a bigger, more expansive home. And I finally found my new shell as my hermit crab self. And damn, it feels good. Just as an, uh, another analogy for those of you that have seen Harry Potter uh, and the Sorcerer's Stone when he goes and he visits Alvander's, you know, he, he tries two different wands where he blows a bunch of shit up before he gets his wand and Alabander holds Harry the third wand and everything glows and expands and he goes, the wand chooses the wizard, Mr. Potter. <laughs> so whatever analogy, old shell, old wand, this feels so right. And so I'm super excited to announce that the name of the new show is going to be Beyond Curious. This is a big moment for me, guys. I'm so grateful for you being on this journey, or maybe you're just joining on this journey and you're listening to this for the very first time. But regardless, I have put a lot of thought into how I wanted to announce Beyond Curious to the world. So what I've landed on is a choose your own adventure journey. So I'm gonna give you two options and you choose what works best for you. And if you've listened to these options already, please dial nine to be transferred to an operator. Para Español o Prima Ocho. Just kidding. <laughs> Just skip ahead about a minute. Uh, so your two options for learning about Beyond Curious are episode 140A or episode 140B. So option one, 140A, is the option you are currently listening to right now. This option is simultaneously the conclusion of Seven Figure Millennials, where I actually answer the question I set out to answer from the beginning, which was how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? So I answer that question, and it's also the first episode of Beyond Curious, which is me actually making the jump to live out the answer I discovered. This is essentially a three hour long masterclass. It is so special because I'm going all out to make this one of the best and the most valuable episodes I have ever produced. It's essentially the combination of all this stuff that I've learned that is the end of an era and you will literally learn the exact path that I took after over 150 interviews, thousands of hours of research to uncover my life's purpose and now how I'm building a business around that. I'm gonna weave in clips from insights that I got from previous guests to help you to uncover a deeper understanding of your life's purpose and to build a business in alignment with that. This is May 2023, Brandon Fong's highest wisdom. And even though I know it's gonna be even stronger in the future, I am confident that this episode can and will change your life if you take it seriously. It's two and a half years of pattern recognition and hard work and interviews exploring one question. This is something that I want to document for a legacy perspective, something I'd be proud of my future kids listening to, hoping that it will provide them with some guidance. And then of course, in this option as well, I'm going to share the story and the vision for Beyond Curious. Option two is episode 140B, which is essentially the give me the high level version. I made this option because I do want a more succinct way of articulating the reason for this rebrand and sharing the vision because I know there are many humans who 
my wife Leah being one of them, where, where they go back, when they listen to a new podcast, they go back to episode one. So I wanted to strategically create a shorter version for that purpose for future new listeners of the show who just want to wait to get up to speed. So you'll get the story and the vision for Beyond Curious without the three-hour masterclass of answering the seven-figure millennials question. So here is some curious music, and I'll give you 30 seconds to choose your adventure. Stick around if you want the masterclass or pause and switch to episode 140B at about four minutes if you want the high level version. If you are still listening, that means that you've made your choice and you want the full answer. You want to go deep and hear my synthesis of over 150 episodes, over a thousand hours of research on answering this one question. So without any further ado, let's dive in. So to kick things off, I'd love to start by sharing a story with you. It's May 15th, 2020. I'm 24 years old. The world is on lockdown. Everyone is still figuring out what the heck COVID is. People are in panic mode, running in the streets, pulling their hair out. <laughs> you probably remember. So naturally, this is a great time for anyone to intentionally leave their job, which is exactly what I did. So after three years of running the marketing for an online education company with over 250,000 students, I felt like I couldn't grow much more in that role. And I felt like a baby entrepreneurial bird who is ready to leave the nest and try to learn how to fly. So I left and decided to not only start the business, but also launch a podcast at the same time. And the intention of the podcast was to document my journey as a brand new entrepreneur building my first seven figure business. I didn't have the answers, but I'm really freaking good at connecting with smart people and asking good questions to figure out what I need to emulate. So the central question from the show, if you've been following along this entire time, you're very familiar with this one, but it is how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? And so I was doing this every single week, publishing a show. I haven't missed a single week since I started and I published 77 episodes when I finally had a breakthrough and it happened when I opened my spreadsheet that I have that tracks all of my guests and I decided to highlight the episodes that most resonated with my me and I asked myself why what was it about these particular people their content or what were they doing differently that really stuck with me and when I studied my favorite interviews, the people that were the most financially successful created the most impact and were still able to prioritize their happiness, health, and relationships, they all had one thing in common. And that was they were all using their business as a vehicle to help them live out their life's purpose. And what I realized is that I needed to stop trying to be like the guests that were coming on my show and instead to be more about Instead, be more me, be more myself. So it was a little bit of an identity crisis, a, a quarter life identity crisis. <laughs> I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my purpose. But what I did know was that my purpose was not seven figure millennials. And it was a weird situation 
And I felt kind of stuck because at the same time that my purpose wasn't seven figure millennials, the show hit a top 2% global ranking in less than a year. I was getting on massive guests and the branding was working, but I wasn't confident enough in my direction of knowing my life purpose to make a jump from what was working. And so I still wanted to continue the show, but my goal at that point specifically became to figure out how I could create a business that was a direct reflection of my life's purpose. So I started looking really deep for clues. It took a year of slow, deep and intense work, pretty much all of 2022. And what I did during this time is I went back through old episodes, listened to them, started asking questions to new guests around my new goal to uncover my life's purpose and create a business that was in hundred percent alignment with it. And just for fun, I did some rough estimates. I've read over 75 books just for my guests alone. For each guest that comes on my show, I usually listen to three other podcasts that they've been on. So at this point, that's over 450 podcast episodes I've listened to, over 60 online courses I've taken. And if you know me, you know this is not me just consuming, but implementing. I'm going deep with the concepts, playing with them myself, adapting, journaling. And this entire time, it was massively uncomfortable because I had to be okay with not really being focused on growing and scaling a company despite having a brand called seven figure millennials. Because in my mind, what the heck was the point of growing something that wasn't in alignment that would end up causing me more pain later. It was literally the exact opposite of the intention of the show. And I would be stupid to not notice that one of the biggest patterns I saw in my guests is that they had massive burnout and depression. And that was a underlying symptom of them trying to grow something that they didn't mu care that much about. It's a, it's a pattern that happened over and over and over and over again. Probably just pick a handful of a random chunk of 10 episodes and you'll find that pattern of somebody that was super successful, hated their life and realized because it was that their business was just not in alignment. So ultimately the biggest patterns that began to emerge for me came in the form of questions and one by one, I started answering them. So for the, 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 point of identifying my life's purpose, some key questions that came up over and over again were, what do you want? What do you want? It's one of the hardest questions to answer, but that was one of the questions. The other question is, what is your superpower? What are your superpowers? And then the third question are, what are your core values? Those things are all hard to uncover and leverage and use effectively, but they were all key to people that had been able to uncover their life's purpose. So I knew I needed to go deep and I did go deep with all those and explore all those. But then the, the business alignment, there was two, there's so many different variables for this, but the two biggest ones I saw are what is the impact you want to create? What, what lights you up? What do you want to create? How do you want to serve the world? And then the other part to this business vehicle is who do you want to serve? And what I realized on my podcasting journey for this question specifically is that my guests weren't just the people I wanted to learn from. They were also the same exact people I was most excited about serving. And again, it took pattern recognition and studying the specific people. And I realized they all had the characteristics of being curiosity driven, purpose led and focused on some form of connection. So curiosity, meaning that they were curious about themselves, they're curious about the world and purpose led, meaning like they knew their purpose or they were, they, they, they were, they had a business that was in alignment with who they were most likely as like a kid. And also connection focus, meaning that they were creating connection in communities or connecting deeper with themselves. And these are all people that are high level entrepreneurs, innovators, leaders, pioneers, adventurers, and 
what I realized is that I really wanted to go deep with high level people and provide them insane amounts of value with my superpowers that I was uncovering. And seven figure millennials is a brand that is not something that this kind of human resonates with. <laughs> Many of my guests were way past the seven figure mark and they also were not millennials. And so Ultimately, answering all these questions helped me to uncover my life's purpose, which I believed was to create a more deeply connected world. I'll say believe because I'll add on to it a little bit later, but I arrived at this point to create a more deeply connected world. And the missing piece that I had was now, how do I create a brand and business that represents and is attractive to the kind of people that I want to serve and, and basically encompasses all the journey that I was on and answering those questions. So there's, if you listen to my episodes, you know that there's several quotes that come up all the time, but one of the quotes is you can't read the label from inside the jar, meaning I was so close, so deep, so obsessed with answering these questions myself. I, it's really hard to separate yourself out of that to organize it in a way that makes sense for the world to see. I needed somebody who wasn't me that could take all that work and package it into a brand that would represent that. And eventually I found someone, Alexandra Watkins. So Alexandra wrote the book on brand names. It's called, Hello, My Name is Awesome. She was a person that named Wendy's Baconator. She names products for brands like Google, Amazon, and Disney. And I figured if anyone could figure it out, it would be her. <laughs> so she has this package called the Name It ASAP package. And I, I saw it was available and I bought it. But here's the funny thing is I actually ended up waiting five months before actually booking and doing the session. <laughs> I, I brought her on. I interviewed her on the show. It was an incredible interview. We hit it off right away. She's amazing. But I still felt like I wasn't ready to book my session that I had paid for. And I was nervous as hell because I, I literally felt like I had rubbed Aladdin's lamp. The genie popped out in the form of Alexandra Watkins. And I was going to ask her for one of my three wishes to come up with this brand that represents my life purpose. And I'd be lying if I was, if I told you that I wasn't doubting myself because, because I was wondering, is this really what I want and committing to it was scary, but eventually I was like, I can't sit on this anymore. I bought the session five months ago. Alexander and I are friends now. <laughs> I need to actually do it. So I pulled the trigger. The date for the session with Alexander was April 27, 2023, and she actually went above and beyond and came up with 100 names for me. So it's on Zoom. I open the Zoom room, and immediately, as per the last few times I met with Alexandra, I'm teleported to Candyland, <laughs> which is what she calls her office, just so you can kind of picture it. She's got a pink refrigerator sitting in the corner of her office, and the refrigerator is full with her favorite books. She's got a gigantic oval purple desk and in, in the background of her zoom screen, she's got a pink Barbie convertible, a California license plate that says Namer, and Alexander herself has this long blonde Barbie hair and blue glasses. So, <laughs> so I'm in, I'm teleported to Candyland, and Alexandra reveals 10 at a time the names that she came up with. And what we did is we marked the ones that were kind of standing out and calling to me. And we went through all 100, but ironically, the name that we landed on was the very first one on the list. It was actually the first alphabetical one. And the name was Beyond Curious. 
And the more I sat with it, the more I fell in love, the more my whole body felt it because I am beyond curious. My number one core value is childlike curiosity. My number one superpower is curiosity. That's how I'm able to ask all these questions and develop relationships with these guests. And I think that when you're curious about the people in front of you, that's what empowers deep connection is because you care about them. You're curious about them and their life. And the entrepreneurs that I most want to serve are beyond curious. Beyond curious is for people who are not only beyond curious at their core, but for people that literally go past the point of curiosity to bring their ideas to life. They are the brave adventurers willing to take a voyage into the unknown to satisfy their curiosity and see what the hell they're made of. And it wasn't until I submitted the creative brief and had my session with Alexander that it hit me so much so much so that what I did is I actually expanded my life purpose. So the way that I've been sharing it now that I, I didn't have until my session with Alexandra is my purpose is to create a more deeply connected world by catalyzing curiosity. And this leads us to today the birth of Beyond Curious. I now know my purpose. I have a brand that is my vehicle to living out that purpose. And so this is the end of one chapter of Seven Figure Millennials and the start of another, the birth of Beyond Curious. So all that to say, I wanted to share this story to invite you, to give you a call to action and to say, if you are somebody that is curious about yourself, curious about the world, you're passionate about figuring out a way that you can contribute your purpose, your why, your gifts to the world, and you love connecting with yourself and being connected with other people and developing deep relationships, then I invite you to join me on this new journey as together we dare to go beyond curious. So that, my friends, is the story of my evolution from seven-figure millennials to beyond curious. And before I give you the masterclass, if you are listening to 140A, and of course, if you're listening to 140B, it's not too late to go back and switch, but I would love to share a little bit more about my vision for Beyond Curious. And I think this episode, you'll literally see me start living into this vision. So I think the best place to start would be to break apart my why, to create a more deeply connected world by catalyzing curiosity. So when I say deeply connected, there's really two parts to deep connection that I'm referring to. The first is connecting deeper with yourself. And the second is connecting deeper with others. I envision this world where everybody deeply loves themselves and accept themselves at their very core, because I believe that when you love yourself, it completely changes the way that you show up in the world. And just imagine how different our world would be if people came from that space of loving themselves, of knowing their strengths or their superpowers, being clear on their values, what brings them joy, and knew how to remind, remove these limiting mindsets and stories that aren't hold that are holding us back. Society, I believe, as a whole, would just become exponentially more productive, fulfilled, and loving. And again, another thing, if you've listened to a bunch of my episodes, I would say also probably around that time I told you I had the breakthrough. This came around that time, episode uh, 77. I started sharing this quote a lot. It's by Michelangelo. I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. And the reason why I think that's so beautiful, especially because at the time of recording this, I'm heading to Florence 
conference next uh, week where I'm going to get to see the David again. But the beautiful thing about that is I believe that so much of our growth is not about addition. It's about subtraction. That was the biggest thing that I learned in this journey is that I needed to remove what didn't belong instead of being focused on trying to add more stuff on top of it. So I believe that we need to come from this space of subtracting, going deep within ourselves, coming the most authentic stepping into that most authentic version of us. And when we show up that way in the world, it creates a deeper connection in our relationships with others. And I want you to think about this because I think there are so many surface level relationships in the world because people are acting from a version that isn't as true to who they really are. So think of how much deeper relationships in general in the world would be if they were built on authentic versions of ourselves, not any fake or insecure versions that are people putting out into the world or strong egos. So I believe that everything starts from building on that foundation of loving yourself first. And then when people are deeply connected with themselves, they're deeply connected with others. It creates even more creation and collaboration in the world, which unlocks massive potential. And so to go even deeper as to why I believe that focusing on connection is one of the most important things that we can be doing, I want to talk to you a little bit about a Greek mythology rabbit hole that I went down a while back. I can't even describe why I was doing this, but here was me chasing my curiosity. And I think this is a great way of expanding on why this is so important. So the rabbit hole I went down was I was studying the Hydra <laughs> in Greek mythology. And as you know, from when Hercules defeated the Hydra, you know, he went through all these trials and er trial and error of slicing off a Hydra's head and that it would birth two more. And then eventually he learned, okay, I need to slice off the Hydra's head and cauterize it with fire. And then after that, I'll be able to defeat the Hydra. And then eventually he was able to slay the Hydra. But here's the thing that I didn't realize until I went down this internet rabbit hole. I believe that Hercules didn't actually solve the problem. Yes, he defeated the Hydra, but what he didn't do is actually ask himself the bigger question and ask what created the Hydra to begin with. And when you actually study Greek mythology, and I haven't done that much study of this, but what I, what I learned is that what birthed the Hydra was Echidna. And Echidna is basically the mother of all of these monsters. So she's also the monster that birthed Severus, the multi-headed dog who guarded the gates of Hades. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of different accounts of who her children actually were, depending on the source. But I mean, so Severus was one of them. Hydra was one of them. The Chimera was one of them, the fire-breathing hybrid creature thing that had the lion and the, the head of a goat. So anyways, Echidna is the mother of all of these terrible things in the world. In my mind, disconnection is the echidna. There are so many problems in the world that I believe stem from the root cause of disconnection. And when I say that the same, the, when I say disconnection, I'm referring to it in the same way that I was referring to connection. So if people are disconnected from themselves, they are disempowered and not contributing their gifts to the world in a meaningful way. And when they're disconnected from others, this is that feeling of isolation and aloneness and feeling unloved and being and because of that, feeling less likely or being less able to collaborate and contribute in the world. And then on top of that, if people are feeling disconnected from themselves and others, this is where I believe people turn to destructive, destructive behaviors, harming others, harming themselves, harming society. And as the quote goes, I don't know where this is attributed to, but the quote is, hurt 
people hurt people. So all that to say, and this is another perfect example of a rabbit hole I went down where I was like, I don't know where this is going to go, but now it's resurfacing, is I believe that all these surface level problems that we're solving are not going to solve the core of the problem, and that is disconnection, which is the echidna. It's the mother of all of these problems. So that is why I believe my why is so important to create a more deeply connected world. And then the second part of this is by catalyzing curiosity. Because if you've been wondering, how can we go about connecting deeper with yourself and then connecting with others. I believe that the key to connection is curiosity. Curiosity is the mother of all creation. There's no learning or growth that happens without you first being curious yourself. And so I am going to be going deep on being curious about curiosity. <laughs> and so there's so much more content that I'm going to be creating on this topic and I'm going to be going super deep. But for now, here is the description of Beyond Curious, this new show, this new evolution that we're heading into right now. Curiosity alone won't change the world, but going beyond curious will. The people that shape society are the explorers, the brave adventurers willing to take a voyage into the unknown to satisfy their curiosity and see what they're made of. This is a show for those people. The people that are relentlessly curious about themselves, their impact, their potential, the people they love, and the world around them. The people who are constantly asking themselves, what if, I wonder, why not, and pushing the boundaries of what is possible for themselves and for society at large. Join me as every single week I interview pioneering adventurers who have dared to go beyond curious. So that is the description. That is the new vision for the show and just a few small things about what to expect moving forward. So I said this on episode 100, but the, the branding wasn't in place. So now the now that the new brand is coming, some exciting things are happening, but I my goal is to eventually shift to publishing two-ish episodes per week. So I want to increase the amount of shows that I'm doing, most likely on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Thursdays. Again, not sure when this is going to happen because as you can imagine with the rebrand, there's so much that needs to happen before I kind of start ramping up. So I want to give myself the space to be able to do that and not necessarily commit to when it's happening, but it is happening. I promise. <laughs> uh, and I, the other thing that I promise is that I am going to be having the same depth of interview, the same caliber of, of guests, even, even stretching myself even further to see the kind of guests that I can get on. So anyways, that is the new vision behind Beyond Curious. So now, if you are listening to episode 140A, this is the part where we dive into answering the questions and helping you go on this journey about how you can uncover your life's purpose and also underneath that category, discover your superpowers at a new level, your core values, and the biggest and hardest question to answer, that is, what do you want? And then we'll also dive into how to create a business model in alignment with all those answers, where you will answer who you want to serve and the kind of impact that you want to create. And again, for episode 140B, if you want the more succinct version, this is where we're going to jump right into a very special bonus section on how Beyond Curious was created by sharing a bonus interview with the genius behind the name Alexander Watkins. And if you're in, in 140A, you'll get that, but it'll come after after your masterclass and the sequencing is going to be really important because it's going to make it even more powerful when you listen to that interview with Alexandra. So I'll tackle these one at a time, but the, the, the kind of three core questions that I see are necessary to answer to help you to uncover your life's purpose that have been the most valuable for me is the first question is what do you want? What do you want? 
And the second question is, what are your superpowers? And the third question are, what are your core values? So let's dive into the very first one. What do you want? So to frame this, I'm going to provide several different articulations from guests around this question to establish why it's so critical to answer. So I have a pattern seeking brain. And part of what I've done over the hundreds of hours attempting to answer this question is to look for patterns. And so what I'm going to show you is some of the breadcrumbs and insights that stuck with me on this topic of what do you want. So first, I'm going to play a clip that came from my episode with Todd Herman, which was episode number 76. Todd is the author of the alter ego effect. He's a peak performance coach. And so here's the clip with Todd Herman. And so I was curious if you had any insights or any invisible threads that you've seen in doing seven over 17,000 hours of coaching with people that can help you detect solving the real problem at heart instead of like the problem that they come to you for. Yeah. Great question. Actually, that's a really good, you know, hat tip, Brandon. That's a good question. Um, first thing is to never engage with the problem that someone brings you. Okay. Because again, we're all living inside of our own bottle, right? Like it's, it's hard for what you need to appreciate is most people lack the skills and capabilities to actually know what the problem is or to define the problem. So, uh, I don't engage. So if you brought me a problem, Brandon, um, I'd be like, okay, so that's coming from your awareness, your perceptions. Um, but what I want to know is less about the problem. Sometimes I want to know, which is a fundamental question that if you get really good at this one question, the governor or the limiter on someone's life gets immediately uh, lifted or removed. And it is the question of what do you want? No, because I just because you solve a problem for someone, that doesn't mean that they're left in a place that they actually want to be. Solving problems doesn't necessarily mean that people are moving towards the thing that they actually fundamentally want. And so before I'm going to engage with the problem, I'm going to say, no, what do you want? Because I need to know where you're trying to go. And then even in that, there's from doing just <laughs> tens of thousands of hours of working with people one-on-one, -on -one, most people will either not admit what they want uh, because a lot of people, then what's behind that? Why wouldn't people want to admit what it is they want? Well, uh, because it's actually psychologically safer for someone to go and pursue something that they don't want and not get it or even tearfully get it than it is to admit and pursue what you do want and possibly not get it. That um, psychologically for some people terrifies them and it really shouldn't. Um, because at least in the process of you pursuing what it is that you want, what, what it is that you actually want, you're feeling like you're most true to yourself. And again, this is what you want, not what your parents want from you, not what your peers want for you. This is what do you want? And then there are some people, so again, so some people do know what they want. They won't admit it, or they don't know how to articulate it possibly. Some people actually don't know what it is that they want. Um, but even in that context, they do know the experiences that they'd like to experience on the way to finding out what it is that they want. 
right? Maybe the people that you're going to be around, um, the feelings and emotions and thoughts you want to be having as you're pursuing it. Because uh, that's actually peak performance. I, I talk about peak performance all the time. Peak performance is helping someone pursue something that they actually want while also enjoying the process. And if you're noticing that you're not enjoying the process towards whatever your pursuit is, I would ask you to question, is this thing that you're pursuing something that you actually want? So not to dance around your question around, you know, how do you solve those problems for people? But there is a more uh, overarching question that I'm more concerned with is, is this person accurately articulating to themselves what is they want? Are they being honest with themselves? And when you can get someone who is honest with what they want, now I can say, well, the problem that you're talking about, now I can actually create, help you create a solution that will help to, again, launch you towards what it is that you are trying to pursue um, or what my what our clients or our students in our programs would say is if there's a gift that I have is I'll, I'll, I'll make a problem evaporate. Like that's, that's really the art of um, knowing how to solve the right thing is sometimes just by changing the frame of whatever your context is, the problem that you're experiencing will literally just go away. Mm -hmm. Like it's not even there because it reshapes the entire um, landscape of how you're viewing it. And that's my favorite thing is literally causing problems to evaporate by not even attacking the problem, but by actually looking at the frame that you're looking at mm -hmm. something through. Once again, that was episode number 76 with Todd Herman. And then just so you hear someone else frame the importance of this question and the thinking around it, here's a clip from my episode with Shannon Graham, which was episode number 49. Shannon Graham is a peak performance coach. He's helped increase the GDP of New Zealand on a project that he's worked on. And he has a goal to take Earth to be a tier 1.5 on the Kardashian scale. He is a big thinker. So here is Shannon's perspective on the question, what do you want? I think the biggest difference between the people who um, don't work with me, like the, the time that they have not spent working with me and then the moment they start working with me, the biggest difference is um, up till the moment they work with me, they have big goals and they know how to hit them. When they work with me, I push them to imagine goals that they don't know how to achieve. And that's really the biggest piece. Um, because if you know how you're going to achieve your goals, you're not thinking big enough. And so that's, that's, I basically bring them to my, my office here in Santa Barbara and say, what do you want? Which happens to be one of the hardest questions for people to answer. Um, but then I'd push them, I, whatever their business. So it's usually one of two things. It's either to, to take their current business to a level of impact at a level of vision that's beyond anything they've imagined before. And I, and I help them do that. Or it's they have an existing business and it's making impact, but really they have this idea for something completely different. And ultimately, either way, what we end up with is this goal that neither of us know how to achieve which requires us to become bigger versions of ourselves in order to do it. The challenge about the question, what do you want, is most people don't give honest answers. And they don't give honest answers because, especially if it's like in the realm of someone wanting to do something really big in the world, it bumps up against a lot of limited beliefs. 
um, it's not possible. I'm not worthy. Uh, it's too hard. Like whatever. There's, there's before people even get to the point where they can say what they want, they'll edit themselves. So, so realistic. And this happens all the time. This happens with every category of life you can imagine: money, um, sex, relationships, impact, like everything. Uh, people, this is what they want if they're super honest, and this is what they're willing to give themselves. And so the process starts by just sitting down with a, a piece of paper and, and genuinely asking yourself, what do you want? And if we're speaking from an impact perspective, the question is like, what is the, what is the impact you really want to make? Without editing it, without downplaying yourself, without doubting it, just being honest, just giving yourself at least a moment to own that and to say it. Um, that's, that's definitely the beginning. So now that you've heard two different perspectives about the importance of this question, what do you want from both Todd and Shannon, I'm going to show you some ways that you can actually answer this question and give you some several different approaches to thinking about this. So I'll give you a clip that was really helpful from Dr. Wayne Purnell. And this is from episode number 112. Dr. P is an author, speaker, and executive coach. And so he's going to dive into this approach that he uses that actually doesn't answer the question, what do you want, but gives a slightly different perspective on how to answer this question that will help you to unlock this answer from a different angle. Here's Dr. P. There's a question that you asked in the significance factor that I think is probably the most clarifying question that I've seen when it comes to uncovering your values. And it's, it's the, the question about treasure. Um, I think the frame that you ask people about, about the way you framed it really helps unlock then saying, what do you want? So I would love for you to maybe share that with people as a journaling exercise. Thank you. Yeah. That's thanks for that, that lead into that particular question. Um, I want people to really keep in mind a question before that, and that is, is this the truth? Mm. It's a powerful question because if you start to doubt yourself on your path, that is the question that's going to give you the clarity and the strength perhaps to get back on track. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm on the right path. It's costing more too much money. It's taking too long. It's really hard. And it's like, well, all of those stories, is this the truth? Is it taking too long? Is it costing too much? Is it mm. like, is that the truth? Or are you on the path and it's just hard? So it, this gets then back to the question you just asked me about the question. This is a great journaling exercise. I don't ask people, what do you want? And the reason I don't ask people what you what you what do you want is because two things happen. One is, I don't know if I'm allowed to want. Hmm. And the other thing is, wow, there's so much out there. It's like wandering into, into a grocery store and you're like super hungry. And so I want it all, but I don't know what I should have or what I could have or what I can afford or what I can. So it becomes overwhelming. And so the question I ask instead of what do you want is really in your life, what would you treasure? In your life, what would you treasure? And for some people, it's like, I treasure quietude. I, I treasure the solitude. I would 
treasure having a really small place on a beach somewhere where I could only hear the ocean and maybe look out and have, you know, these flowing waves of blue lupin, you know, just in the, in, in, uh, you know, blowing in the breeze as you hear the, the crash of the waves. And for someone else, it'd be like, I treasure traveling the world. Like I would treasure traveling the world, meeting new people, eating new things. I would treasure my family. I would do anything for my family. I would treasure having treasure. Like I would tre like, so it doesn't like, there's no judgment there. You can treasure whatever you want. What would you be willing to put your time, energy, effort, money, like you can't get back time. So what are you willing to invest your time and yourself into to have and to grow and to nurture as if it were a garden? You are planting seeds. You're going to water it. You're going to give it like there's enough there's enough uh, fertilizer out there to go around. So uh, <laughs> how are you going to make sure that it gets sunshine and water? And uh, how are you going to pull the weeds when they crop up? And the weeds are self-doubt. The weeds are naysayers. What would you treasure? And what are you going to give of yourself in order to make sure that you get what you truly, truly desire? And, and right, that goes to what do you want? It's what do you treasure? there you go so there's an incredible journaling exercise for you not asking what do you want even though you can and that's super valuable but another way of approaching that might be to answer the question what do you treasure okay so here's another insight that unlocked a ton of gold from me that came from my episode with gay hendrix who is episode number 125 he is the author of the incredible book that i think is a, net, a massive supplemental resource to these topics that we're talking about in today's episode called the big leap so i think another way just before i play the clip another way of thinking about this question what do you want is to clearly define what success means to you it's a slightly different frame on this question and Gay shared something on my show that I think is one of the most profound ways of answering this question. So here's Gay Hendricks. This was completely separate from the book, but it was a podcast episode that you did with Mike. Um, and, and it really stood out to me as something that has already also had a profound impact on my life, but it was how to come up with your top five life goals. Um, and you kind of walked Mike and, and talked about this experience you had about being on your deathbed and asking someone a really powerful question. This has been in, insanely powerful for me. I would love for you to share that. Yes. Well, the basic idea is that human beings don't do a very good job of reflecting on what we want to create for our whole lives. You know, so uh, I never had an assignment to do that in high school or college for that matter. That seems like a giant miseducation, a missed education so. opportunity. And I'm sure it's done differently now, but I can tell you at Le in Leesburg High School, in the year of 1962, I graduated without ever one conversation about simple things like what did I want to do with my life or um, how to get along in a relationship. You know, those kind of things are missed out on, I think, in education by and large. And we need to do a better job of that for sure. Um, but I, um, I had the opportunity 
to meet a man one day. I was in a in the library of a house where I'd been invited to a party, and I'm not exactly a party animal, but my wife is very social, and she was uh, meeting people and everything. And I kind of wandered off into a back room, which was the library of this mansion we were in. And it was the engagement party for a colleague of mine, a fellow psychologist. And I, just on an amusing note, uh, it was going to be his fifth marriage. And I'd known him through two, three, and four, and I didn't have confidence in number five. So I, was a, I wasn't exactly a, a willing participant in this, uh, in this uh, engagement party. Uh, it turned out they're happily married still here 35, Good. 40 years later. Number five so. was the trick. <laughs> <laughs> number five was the trick. And so, but it, what happened to me was this elderly gentleman who was in his 60s, I was about 35 at the time, maybe, um, he came into the library with me and we were both looking at books on the shelves. They had this beautiful library in this mansion. And so I said hello to the elderly man. He was this tall, bald chap of about maybe 64, 65. And anyway, I said some comment like, um, you don't like small talk either, do you? And he said, no, I can't stand it. And he said, especially in the last six months. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, oh, I got the gift of a lifetime. He said, I had a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. So my ears perked up. Hmm. How could that be? You know, he said, on my deathbed, he said, I had a question come to me. And I answered the question and it changed my life. And I think it helped me get over this illness. So I'm I'm not ill anymore. And uh, so you can imagine I was sort of jumping from one fit, foot to the other saying, what was the question? You know? Actually, we're going to end it right now, Gay. We can't talk about that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> in the next episode, which is only $29.95 <laughs> and three easy payments, we'll give you the end of the story. Um, so uh, this gentleman, whose name, name was Ed Steinbrecher, he, he said, instead of telling you my story, let me just do it with you. And I said, okay. And he said, close your eyes and imagine you're on your deathbed. How old do you think you're going to be? And for some reason, uh, the number, I think it was 82 or 83 came to me. And when I thought about it later, it's probably because that was the age my grandmother died. So frankly, I'm not attached to dying at age 83. That was just the number that popped into my mind. So whether it's 72 or 83 or 93, it doesn't matter. But what how old are you? And I said, 83. And he said, okay, I'm coming to your side of your bed and I ask you a big question. Was your life a total success? And he says, you say yes. And tell me five things that made you say yes. What's the number one thing that said, made you say yes, my life was a complete success? And immediately I realized the one thing that I'd never accomplished, which would make my life a complete success, was that I developed a long lasting loving relationship with a woman with whom we could grow over the years in wisdom and love toward each other. That's one thing I had never actually seen in my family of origin. There were people that had been married a long time, but, you know, like my grandparents were married more than 60 years, but 
my mother always said they spent 59 and a half of those years fighting with each other. So it wasn't exactly a kind of a role model kind of relationship to look at. So, but I realized I had this high standard for a kind of relationship I wanted. By that time, I'd already gotten my doctorate and was established and had written several books and that kind of thing. But I realized none of those things would matter. You know, like what value is a PhD in counseling psychology from Stanford if I can't learn to get along with one person over a long period of time? And at the time, I was just getting into my relationship with Katie, and but I hadn't really yet made a full-scale commitment to her. But as we went home that night, I counted what I said and made that commitment to her, mm -hmm. you know, that I wanted her to be that person. Oh, I'm just feeling teary as I say this because we just came back from Maui where we were celebrating our 43rd anniversary mm -hmm. of first meeting each other. And so here we are 43, more than half of our lives later, still acting out that first key goal of mine. Later on, oh, by the way, um, I wrote a book called Five Wishes. And if you want the whole detail on the other four things, uh, go read them, but I can run down what they were. So number one was relationship. Number two, I wanted to live in a state of completion with everybody in my life, particularly friends and family and people that were close to me. So there was never anything I hadn't said to them or anything I hadn't listened to that was in the way. So completion. Number three was I wanted to learn how to write from my heart rather than from my head. Um, and, uh, I was sensing the possibility of a new kind of book. You know, I hadn't written anything like the big leap or learning to love yourself or conscious loving or five wishes yet. And people comment on those books that they're very personal. That's the best piece of feedback I get is it sounded like it came from your heart is a Absolutely. piece of feedback I often, and it does that because I wouldn't write a sentence if I wasn't feeling that space of love and, and creative genius inside myself. So anyway, uh, I had those five things. The other one was to learn as much as I could about the creator force in life. And a fifth one was to learn how to savor each moment of my life. Mm -hmm. So that right now, for example, I'm savoring the experience of having this conversation with you. And as soon as we get, I can actually smell it in another part of the house. My wife has uh, been baking sweet potatoes, one of my favorite mm. uh, lunch treats and having a big sweet potato and some spinach. And so mm. that's what I get to savor next. And uh, so my job now in life is to savor every moment and to get the essence of the enjoyment out of it. So uh, go read Five Wishes if you want the whole story on that. Once again, that was Gay Hendricks from episode 125, a game-changing episode. And just to add a little bit more color to this, I figured I'd share with you how I answered that question to come up with my top five life goals using Gay's prompt. So here's my answer for my top five life goals. Number one for me is loving myself and consistently pursuing my next 
level of growth and fulfillment. I believe that everything needs to start with you because you are not going to be showing up in your relationships the right way if you are giving from a empty cup. So you want to figure out how you can prioritize yourself uh, so that you can show up the best in all other areas of your life. But beyond that, my second answer is being the best husband I can be for my wife, Leah. Number three is being the best dad I can be for my future kids. Number four is living every day in alignment with my purpose and core values. And number five is to savor and be grateful in every moment of my life. And again, all of these concepts that we're talking about in today's episode are intertwined. So for number four, living every day in alignment with my purpose and core values, we haven't talked about the core values and the how to come up with your purpose yet, because all of these things kind of layer on top of each other. So you may start one, get another insight from one later, reintegrate it somewhere else yet. But I just wanted to make sure that I provided you this question right now at this point, because it can help you unlock some pieces to the puzzle. So the last piece that I want to share with you that really helped unlock some massive breakthroughs for me came from Robert Tennyson Stevens. Uh, he has an incredible book called Conscious Language. He came on for episode number 106. And this isn't something that we actually covered inside of the episode, but he put together this audio program called The Big Equals. And this was huge for me. So another thing that I think would be kind of relevant to share with you on this topic is part of what empowers me to go see so deep and answer these questions for myself is I am journaling constantly. I journal on a hourly basis, on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis, and on a yearly basis. It sounds a lot. I'll probably have to do a future episode on my entire journaling process. But um, this is actually, I'm going to read a little bit from my July 2022 journal entry where I was going through the big equals exercise. So, um, yeah, I'll just read read it directly. So <laughs> here it is. July was a huge fucking win of a month. Of all the incredible things that happened, the biggest win came from the fourth on the 4th of July when I was listening to the Big Equal session by Robert Tennyson Stevens. The exercise went like this. Find in your heart what you truly desire, which is not on your horizon as possible yet. Identify your goal, which seems out of reach, yet something you think about all the time, want, need, desire, wish for, and choose with all of your being. I realized that my heart's highest choice, highest call, greatest desire was to have my own high level mastermind. This immediately unlocked greatness in me. I've honestly felt so much lighter at peace and fulfilled since this simple realization came to my mind. This insight came a few weeks later, mid August, and I had this huge wave of emotion come over me when I realized that my heart has desired this since I was nine years old. I found the pictures dad sent me a while back of my notes that I took during a conference that I attended with him. And <laughs> I put in my journaling here, uh, these notes that I put that I took during this conference session. So you can kind of imagine I have like kind of crappy. I, I mean, I'm, I'm nine years old when I wrote this cause it's dated. Um, but I, I write in cursive and I write in print and it's kind of sloppy, but here's some notes I took on that day. It says have it a constant, often unconscious inclination to perform an act acquired through its frequent repetition. So I took that note during a conference when I was nine years old. So I was always a super nerd for learning about high level information and surrounding myself with, with high quality people. So I'll continue on with the rest of this journaling prompt. Uh, and then I'll kind of revisit this concept that Robert Tennyson Stevens taught, but, uh, here's the, here's the rest of the journal. It took me 13 years, but that desire then manifested in bringing me into 
participating in Genius Network at age 22 and launching my podcast. And now my heart realized just this week, 17 years later, that having my own high-level mastermind is what has been seeking me. Of all the things I've pursued, I've never felt this aligned in my entire life. It's simply time to make it happen. So just to elaborate on this a little bit, um, I'll go back to this prompt again. So this is the prompt again, if you're taking notes, if you wanna answer this question for yourself, here's the question that was posed inside of the Big Equal session by Robert Tennyson Stevens. Find in your heart what you truly desire, which is not on your horizon as possible yet. Identify your goal, which seems out of reach, yet something you think about all the time, want, need, desire, wish for, and choose with all of your being. So for me, it immediately unlocked when I heard this. I realized I love my interviews. I love spending time with all of my guests. But what I realized was missing is I am also someone that loves connecting people. And I didn't ever give myself permission to start bringing all the people that I've interviewed into the room together to open a conversation together because I don't know, I guess I just never gave myself permission for doing that. And so when I realized that I should be doing that, I immediately launched into doing that and some magic came from that. So I can maybe talk about that a little bit later, but starting around July, when I came up with this, I started running what I call expeditions where they're exclusively for the guests that have come on my show. I bring them in uh, together in groups of four and lead them through an incredible experience where they all get to connect with each other on a really deep level. And you know how much depth I go into on my show. And so I, I leverage all the research that I did inside of the individual shows to really help the guests build these deep relationships. And it's, it's just been so cool. And I've in, since created paid versions of this that have been really, really well. And I'm really excited about growing this, but this question is what unlocked that for me. Um, and that I think will help you to understand what you want as well. So those are the main insights that came from the show about answering that question, what do you want? So again, I want to tell you that this has taken me my entire life up to this point, obviously to figure this out, but, but specifically with these questions in mind, I've been journaling, thinking about this, meditating on it for, for over a year, specifically around these questions. And now that this pattern has emerged, I just, it's, it's one of those things you've got to sit down with and give yourself the patience to answer them in a way that's in alignment with your heart and how you feel about things. So uh, again, lots of great resources were mentioned here, but I think those insights from Todd, Shannon, Dr. P, Gay Hendricks, and Robert Tennyson Stevens have all been pivotal on my journey in uncovering these answers for myself. So now that we've answered the question, what do you want? The next big existential question that I want to tackle that, ha that has been massive for me as I've understood this at a deeper and deeper level are what are your superpowers? What are your unique capabilities that only you have that give you energy when you do them and provide the greatest amount of impact when you stick inside of those superpowers? So this is literally like the coolest magic trick of all time. Like imagine what it, imagine if you could get paid for who you are, not what you know, but literally just how, who you are at your core answering this question will help you to be able to do that. You'll never have to work another day in your life if you're doing things that are your natural gifts. So the biggest breakthrough for me on this, for discovering my superpowers actually came, well, it was a whole bunch of things that kind of thunderclapped together, but like the, the pinnacle of it was I was playing some games with my wife, Leah. We love playing board games. And she kind of said in a moment of frustration, which is kind of funny, she said like, you always figure out how to win. Um, and she said that to me before, but something clicked differently when she said this to me. And I kind of had this like 
huh realization, this, this huh moment, this, this curiosity. It's like, well, what if I treated this human being, Brandon Fong, as someone like outside of me? And this is just, I'm, I'm observing this human. And what if I was in charge of designing a game for him to play? If I was the architect for this human being, what would this game look like? And that question set me out on this entire journey. I developed this concept I call the, the architect versus the player. Um, it, I guess I'll dive into this a, a little bit right now, but the architect version of you is the design, the version of you that designs the game for the player. The player version of you is the one that does the thing that shows up, that does the work, that has the superpowers, that's running the business, that's, uh, being a manager, that's mentoring people, right? So when you, when you have that perspective of flipping between the version of you that's playing the game and the version of you that is designing the game for the player, it unlocks a whole bunch of really cool perspectives and insights when you can kind of flip between those two different perspectives. If you want as a bonus resource, I would highly recommend that you go check out the version of Jumanji that came out with The Rock and Kevin Hart. <laughs> uh, really, really fun to kind of just like imagine imagine this world it's it's there's this one scene where they're launched into the video game of jumanji and they're kind of uncovering their different uh strengths and weaknesses as the character they kind of hit their left peck and this like visual dashboard appears over the air that shows their weaknesses and strengths. And it's, it's super funny when Kevin Hart hits his, you know, his weakness includes cake <laughs> and his strengths are zoology and a weapons valet. So it's just kind of interesting. Like if, if you were in that video game or if you were designing this game and you hit your left peck and this 3d version of your strengths appeared above your head, what would it say? Right. <laughs> and that's a kind of a hard question to answer. So one of the things that, um, helped me to unlock this that I want to provide to you that I've mentioned before, but I want to share again here is to look at all of your strengths in one place. And there's several keys to doing this, but the biggest key for me is correlating all these tests that I've taken. So if you've listened to a bunch of episodes for a while, you've probably heard Colby come up. Uh, so that is a, a an incredible test, but but Colby measures your instinctive way of taking action. So uh, that's called Colby, K-O-L-B-E. I would recommend that you go check that out. Uh, but I'll just list off all these other tests that I've taken that have been super, super valuable. So Colby, Strengths Finder, Wealth Style, uh, Archetypes, which is like, a, I think it's called PMAI, uh, Principles U, human design, six human needs, and fascination advantage are just some of them. So the biggest thing that unlocked for me though, is I never, I never attempted at correlating all of these tests and looking at the patterns amongst all of them. What are all of these tests saying? Not just one, but all of them. So what I did is I literally read through all of those results and I put them inside of one Google doc and read them back to back and you will start to see massive patterns emerge. So just so you have an example, what I'll do is I'll read some of my top uh, results and then kind of what I did to reassemble this and kind of create like a composite of all these strengths and these superpowers that help me to look things from a different way. So my Colby results, how I naturally take action, it's a series of numbers. So I'm a five, four, eight, three, and I, I don't want to go through all these, but essentially this determines that my best use of naturally taking action is going to be to start with experimentation, then to move to finding relevant information, creating a flexible plan, and then envision the future and, and kind of create 
a future for myself. So that one's a little bit more esoteric. You might have to kind of like dive into that a little bit more. Uh, my top strength in strength finder is strategic, which is the ability to create alternative ways to proceed, quickly spot the relevant patterns and issues, generate innovative ideas and propose systematic programs of action. So that's uh, my top result from strength finder. My other top results are achiever, futuristic learner and activator. But again, that's just my number one. My wealth style result is creator, uh, which is visionary, creative, optimistic, stimulating, able to inspire others, can multitask, quit, quick to get results, great at getting things started, and adds the most value when they are free to create when their heads are in the clouds. So you can already see an overlap between that creator profile and Colby, where my highest Colby score is eight quick start, which is start with experimentation. So two different tests saying the same things is that I should be quick to get results and get things started. <laughs> so that's an overlap between Colby and, and creator that is like, okay, there's a start of a pattern there. Um, my, my, the other type, the other test I mentioned archetypes, PMAI, my primary result is magician. Uh, a quick description of the magician recognizes that our sense of reality is shaped by what we are able to perceive and is ever seeking to expand our understanding of existence at my best magicians embody a transformative and healing presence that knows how to unite people behind a common vision and make that a reality. Okay. Like another pattern you're starting to see behind a common vision, right? Like that is in alignment with what WellStyle says about creator, about being a visionary. It's also futuristic is my third strength in strengths finder, right? So like, as you start to correlate all these things together, you're gonna start to see the patterns emerge. Uh, next result, principles you, my primary results, it's interesting because they had, uh, my primary result used to be adventurer, uh, but then I think what happened principles you is they gathered over a million test results and they updated the algorithm to make it more effective. So. Now my primary result is explorer, but explorer and adventurer are very, very similar. I even sent an email inside of principles you support chat to figure out what the difference between the, the two was because they're, they're very the same. But uh, anyways, I'll read this. So explorers love to take in new knowledge and are drawn to new experiences through intrinsic motivations. They tend to be curious, open-minded, reflective, and adaptable. Adventurers are motivated by taking part in fun, exciting, and adventurous activities and pursuits. And uh, both of them crave work opportunities that provide variety and stimulation. So again, you're probably starting to see some patterns. I'll read these last two and then kind of how I synthesized all of them. So uh, other, other result I talked about was human design. So I'm an express builder. So the result here says, when I love what I do and my work is satisfying, I perfect and sustain the process of bringing inspiration to life. Another hint at creation, right? Uh, six human needs results. So you can take this one. This one's free. Uh, and it talks about your six human needs, uh, which again, whole separate topic. But my, my primary human need is growth. I have a strong desire to constantly develop new skills, learn new things, and improve at what I already know. I have to develop myself physically, emotionally, intellectually, and or spiritually. Constant growth is a primary focus of mine. So uh, not to bore you with all of my results, but I think it's really important to kind of see, okay, what are all these different tests saying? Where are they intersecting? Where are they overlapping? What are they all pointing to? What are they all saying? So when I read all of those and keep in mind, those are just the few sentences that describe each, each of these tests is like five pages long, 10 pages long. I don't know. So <laughs> it was a lot to synthesize through, but one of the most, one of the best investments of my time. So basically here's what I did is I took all those things in combination with some other stuff that I'm going to share with you in the, actually, you know what? I'm going to skip ahead of what I had planned on doing. I'm going to, I'm going to share another way that you can identify your superpowers. And then I'm going to come back and show you 
how the, the mixture of identifying all those strengths from your tests and then this other exercise led to me kind of consolidating this into what I now consider to be my primary superpower, which I call C5. So um, this other insight is another way that you can determine your strengths. And the biggest thing is one of the quotes that comes up on my show all the time, one of my favorite quotes is you can't read the label from inside the jar. If you are sitting inside of a pickle jar, mayonnaise jar, I don't know, imagine whatever jar you're sitting inside of, you cannot read what the label says on the outside. You need somebody else from the outside of the jar to read the label that is sitting right on the front of it. You're so close to it, you can't see the damn thing. So this is what I think part of what has allowed us to evolve as human beings is that we have limited perspectives because we can't see stuff that's so close to us. So here's a really small thing that it's so small. I don't want you to overlook it because this is happening to you probably on a very frequent basis, but you may not be fully accepting it, or you may be brushing it off, not paying attention to it. I want you to pay attention to this and it's compliments. Seriously, whenever someone gives you a compliment, treat that like a gift being handed to you. It's very easy to just brush it off and say, oh, thank you, I really appreciate it and really not pay attention to it. But like, seriously, the next time someone gives you a compliment, accept it, listen to it, study what they're saying. They're they are sharing that label. They are sharing something about you that they see in you and, and compliments are literally the equivalent of people reading your label for you. So in my world, I'm really fortunate. <laughs> I spend a lot of time on Zoom calls and you know, there's lots of transcription services you can use, otter.ai, Fathom, you know, just stick it inside of your Zoom meetings and you can literally go back and see when somebody has given you a compliment, you can read the transcripts of exactly what they said. Not from like an ego perspective, but because I'm genuinely curious, I'm genuinely interested in seeing how other people view my strengths so that I can magnify them and explain them in new ways. So and, you, and so, so this can happen naturally and organically, or if you want to go above and beyond, literally ask people, ask people what your superpowers are and share for other people. When you give people a compliment, tell them what you see in them. It, 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 it's the mass. It's, it's just an incredible way of giving and creating positive energy in the world is just constantly appreciating and loving on people and giving them compliments. But if you want to go above and beyond, literally just go and ask some people that you interact with your friends, your family, um, you can just text them. What do you think my strengths are? What do you think my superpowers are? Correlate those results. Take it seriously. Like study this kind of stuff. It's super important. And, and it's also really great if you can ask them in person. This may seem weird. It may seem uncomfortable for you. But if you can ask in person, you can see their body language. You can see the sincerity. You can hear the tone of their voice. You can zoom in on it. You can ask more questions. All of those things will help you to unpack what is below the surface. Cause lots of people will give you above the surface answers. How do you go deeper and get those below the surface answers? Just to build on this a little bit, I wanna tell a kind of embarrassing story that encapsulates this, you can't read the label from inside the jar and the importance of collecting compliments. So when I started my podcasting journey, I literally didn't realize that I was doing something different than other podcasters. But people kept telling me and giving me compliments that I would always just brush off. And it took me a while to actually accept and live into these compliments that were giving given to me and understand that I was doing something differently. And I wanna tell you about the moment when it actually clicked for me. It was when I decided I was, I wanted to compile a testimonial reel from my guests saying things that 
uh, they appreciated about my interview style during our podcast recording. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to play this clip for you. And this is audio stripped from the testimonial reel. So obviously you won't know who the voices are, but these are all guests that have been on my show. And I'm not, I'm not adding this to brag, but to literally demonstrate that it took me seeing this video compilation for the first time for it to get through my thick skull <laughs> that my interviewing and connection skills were something completely unique and special. So here's that audio clip. I'll tell you this, Brandon, you're terrific at what you do. I've had very few that truly pay the price. Like you have mm -hmm. to know me and my work. I commend you because I feel understood. It means a lot to me. I admire you greatly. I'll mm -hmm. be your advocate. A spectacular hour. You're a great interviewer, and I really appreciated uh, what you've done in the past. I have hour. done so many podcasts. This is my favorite podcast I have ever done. You are an amazing interviewer. Like, I am a huge fan. Huge Thanks. fan. You totally made my day. Really. Like, I'm so glad hey, I you knew started that. out really good here. I'm, I think I'm part of your dream team, Brandon. This is how it all starts. A month from now, you got it. Someone brings you a product. You want to bring it to me. We can be partners. I'm very, very grateful for the time, Brandon. I'm very grateful for how prepared you were and all of the good questions. You could probably ask me like, any absurd question. Because <laughs> I feel you. so safe with you. And I feel like you took the time to care about me. What I love about it is that I, I feel I learn, but I also have a good time. So I'm, you have a great podcast in that no. respect. If you go back and listen to any of the last hundred interviews I've done, I don't say this at the end of every interview, but I'm going to tell you now, man, I really think you're this was one of the most well-prepared, um, thoughtful interviews that I've, I've had. Oh my gosh. That's a great, great question. And I love that you've done your research. Thank you so much. Brandon Fong, the most prepared podcaster in the history of podcasting. Hey dude, that was fantastic. Yeah, dude, your, your, your prep, everything. Uh, fantastic. I really appreciate I say it. To you, in the hundreds of podcasts I've had the privilege of being on, you are one of the most attentive, well-prepared uh, leaders and moderators I have ever had the privilege of being with. Brandon, so, first, uh, I've got to just chime in and just say how awesome you are. Like you really do your research and it's really fun to fun to hear and fun to see and just uh, kudos to you. I just think it's so impressive. So I just have to throw so that this out. This has there. just been a great interview. I just enjoyed this immensely. No, I think I'm on a lot of podcasts and I think you are one of the best that I have met at curating content and just having great energy, having great questions and having really incredible flow. I'm just amazed at the depth of this interview as, as promised. Thank yeah, you. great question. Actually, it's a really good, you know, hat tip, Brandon. That's a good question. Everyone should be sharing this podcast, but I'm, I can only imagine the learning and the gifts you're giving to others by sharing the, the guests that you bring on. And so I finished 2021 doing 117 interviews on other people's podcasts. This is definitely one of the top shows I've been on, man, just so you know. You know, I, I think I've done... 150 podcasts. No one asked me about that story. And it's a great story. So I really appreciate all the research you put into developing your questions. Oh, incredible research. I felt really comfortable. And uh, I've been on close to 50 podcasts and you did an exceptional job. Yours really stands out. I, I just, I do a lot of these. You're, you're, you're a different breed at how you do these. You, you're, your attention to how you do this is it's, it's, you're setting a different standard of excellence and I honor you for that. Appreciate it. Hey, so, thanks for doing all the homework. I really appreciate hey, it. The number of podcast hosts who actually read the book is less than 5%. And mm. it is a completely different conversation when you've got the context. I haven't told the golf ball story in probably two or three years. Well, you know, you, you really did a great job preparing. It's gonna get me to give you some good references for other people who should be on your show. And you know, that's important. Shit hot, dude. I'm proud of you, man. Good, <laughs> Thank good you. I have a gift, man. And, and Thank you. to be able to be associated with you is amazing. And I, I hope so many other people get an opportunity um, to be a guest on your show. Um, at the very least, they should be listening to it. I've been on over 500 podcasts and your level of interest and your ability to connect 
and your ability to integrate thought, lessons, and intrigue into a singular string of thought is a unique gift. And I, I am grateful that you did your homework and you can bring out those stories. So and mainly, I just wanted to get in your testimonial reel. So I thought I would. You know, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Again, feel so grateful and blessed for those very kind words by my guests. But again, just to remind you why I want to show that to you is that it literally took me seeing that video for me to be like, I am doing something different here. So just a reminder for you to collect your compliments and to study them. And they are people handing you gifts that are showing you your strengths that should be amplified in the world. Okay, so that was another way that you can uncover your strengths to really pay attention to those compliments, asking people what your strengths, what your superpowers are. So now we'll go back to where I was going to head before about my superpower, what I call C5. So I, at my core, I'm a catalyst. I am a creator and I create in a five phase process. Each phase starts with C and it goes in this particular order. So the first part of this superpower is curiosity. I am endlessly curious and I need to leverage my boundless curiosity to relentlessly seek insights from everything and anyone. And I need to give myself permission to just be a child, just to explore what is interesting to me and not worry if it's going to be about, if, if it's going to come into play, because I've had plenty of times now where I've explored my curiosity. I didn't think it was going anywhere and it came back. So just being a child playing, being curious. And that's why I'm so excited to beyond curious because I view, I view curiosity as the keystone for all of the other strengths that I've created. Uh, and I'm going to be creating lots of thought leadership around this. So anyways, curiosity is the first part of my five phase process. The next is to connect. So once I've explored a whole bunch of different things, I can then effortlessly and instantaneously connect people, ideas, and observations to come up with innovative solutions. So again, you're going to hear patterns in what you heard me share inside of my test results. So curiosity, connect. The next is creativity. So once I've kind of been curious and I've started to see some patterns, I can instantly generate multiple potential creative solutions using this kind of database of people and ideas and things that I've explored. The next phase for me is to communicate. I can then take all these creations and communicate these complex ideas through speaking and writing in a way that is motivating and inspires people and gets them to understand. And the last part is to catalyze. So determine the high level strategy and develop a system to execute and take immediate action to bring this vision to life. So that is the consolidated wisdom of all this work that I've done. This is my zone. If I stick inside of my superpower of C5, that's how I add the most value to the world. So in one sentence, I need to curiously explore, connect the dots, create a system of transformation, communicate that vision, and be a catalyst to push the human race forward. That is my superpower. And I am working so hard right now to stay inside of that zone, go deeper inside of that zone and build a world where this is all I do because it is the greatest way that I can contribute my gifts to the world if I literally stick inside of these five things. But just think about it again for you. How powerful would it be if you had this clearly documented? If you knew where the most effective use of your time was and how to leverage that to bring your gifts to the world in the biggest way. And like, this is so important because I believe that when you're connected deeply with yourself, that's where all transformation starts. So anyways, I'll get into that a little bit later, but that is, um, 
my best insights on how you can uncover your superpowers. And I would encourage you to document them, keep them in front of you. I literally have like a laminate of my top five superpowers sitting on my desk at all times. I have the printout of my top five um, strengths finder strengths sitting on my laptop. I'm staring at it right now, right? So like not only documenting this and shoving it in some Google doc or somewhere that you don't see it, like actively be thinking about this. How can you expand? How can you go deeper? How can you leverage this more effectively? So now we've covered, what do you want? We've covered, what are your superpowers? The next question to ask are, what are your core values? So to answer this question, I'm going to layer a bunch of different insights. So I'm actually going to start with a clip from episode 50. This is one of the few solo episodes that I've done. And I took an opportunity of crossing the 50 episode landmark to do what I'm doing now inside of kind of and integrate some of the most impactful patterns and through lines of the first 50 episodes that I created. So here's that clip from episode 50 and it'll set the foundation for core values. So what is this topic? The topic that I chose for today that I know will, if used properly, this will make a massive impact on your life. So the topic is language. So I'll explain fully in a minute why I chose this topic. But first, I want to set this up by pointing to two awesome TED Talks that I've listened to recently. So the first one is by Lara Boroditsky, I think is how you say her name. And her TED Talk is called How Language Shapes the Way We Think. So she studied a whole bunch of different communities and cultures and how the language they they, they think in dramatically impacts their reality. And one of the examples she gives is an Aboriginal community in Australia called the Cook Thayor people. And what's interesting about this community is they don't have the words for left or right. So instead of left or right, they use cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west to describe everything. So if you have an ant crawling up your leg, they would say to you, you have a ant crawling up your northeast leg. <laughs> uh, and so basically every single time you orient, there's no such thing as like a fixed left or right. You have to constantly know exactly which direction you are facing. And so another funny thing about this is outside of not having left or right, when they say hello to someone in their culture, you have to say the direction that you are heading when you say hi to them. So basically, if I ask you right now, what direction are you facing right now? Chances are, unless you're good at this, you probably don't know. I am absolutely terrible at this. And so I can only imagine how hard it was for Lara to communicate in this community where like just to open your mouth, you pretty much have to know the direction you're heading. And so she was talking about how frustrating this was. And one day she was walking around and a bird's eye view of the landscape kind of popped up in her mind, kind of like a window opened up. And this new view helped her to orient herself and describe where she was heading. So she kind of saw this bird's eye view of the landscape and she was a red dot. And whenever she turned, the window stayed locked on the landscape, but the, you know, the, the orientation kind of turned in her mind's eye. And so she was like, oh my gosh, this is so valuable to have this new perspective or way of looking at things. And so she was excited and she talked to somebody else in this community and they were like, yeah, how else would you do it? So it's kind of interesting because there are all these people that because of the language they speak, because of their culture, their entire perception of reality, how they orient themselves in the world, how they view things is shaped by the language that they speak. So that's just one example that she talks about, but other things that are really interesting about how people organize time. So if I gave you 
Let's say a picture of a baby, a picture of a toddler, a picture of a teenager, and a picture of an old person. And I said, please organize these in the order of time. If you're listening to this, chances are you would probably want to organize the pictures from left to right. But people who speak Hebrew, Hebrew, they or they write, write and read from right to left. So they would actually organize their time from right to left. And I, I think it's Mandarin or, or I don't know what specific dialect of Chinese or if it's all of them. That just shows a little bit <laughs> of how much I know about Mandarin, but um, I, I think it's in Mandarin where they organize or they read top down. So they would organize from top down. And so that's another example. And then a third example she talks about, and I, I've actually mentioned this on the podcast before, so I'm glad I was able, able to find uh, the specific source where this came from. But she talks about how in Russian, they have specific words for light blue and dark blue. Like, like it, it, there's a very clear distinction of different shades of blue. But because they have language for those shades of blue, Russian people can actually actually identify those colors more effectively than somebody who doesn't actually have the word in that language. So those are all really cool ways that language shapes the way we think. It's a massive container that because you're listening to me in English, because you speak English, we are restricted and don't have the ability to communicate certain ideas or, or things other cultures have. So that's one TED Talk. The other TED Talk is by Keith Chen and it's called, Could Your Language Affect Your Ability to Save Money? So this is what he talks about in this TED Talk is that as English speakers, we speak a future language. So anytime we want to talk about something in the future, we have to grammatically separate that from the present and treat it like it's different. And English is the only Germanic language that does this. So we would say, um, it rained yesterday, it's raining, it will rain tomorrow. And so we subtly have to disassociate the future from the present every single time we speak. Whereas in Chinese, they would say, the equivalent of yesterday it rained, now it rained, tomorrow it rained, which sounds weird to us as English speakers. And German is also similar in the way they do it. So his hypothesis in studying his this stuff is, could how you speak about time or how your language forces you to think about time, could that impact how you behave across time? And so what he found is that in languages where, where they call them futured languages, where the future is different than the present, Compared to languages that are called futureless languages, where the future is similar to the present, there's a massive difference in how people save. So compared, if you compared a family that speaks a future language with a futureless language and, you know, kind of controlled for variables in income, demographics, number of children, education, he found out that people who speak futureless languages are 30% more likely to save in any year and are 25% more likely to have, or they, they're, they're going to retire with 25% more in savings just because of the language that they speak. And then he also correlated that with other data and found that it also impacts health as well. So people who speak future list languages are 20 to 24% less likely to smoke, 13 to 17% less likely to be obese and 20% more likely to use condoms because they don't view the future is something that is that distinct from the present moment. So if language has such a massive grip in our reality, why wouldn't we pay closer attention to this? And this is why I chose this as the topic today, because my perspective, and I've heard this from other people, and I've kind of added all other layers to it from my understanding. But if you look at our behavior or our results, what has the biggest impact on our behavior and our results? I would argue that it's language, because language as we just talked about, shapes the way that we see the world. So our language impacts our culture, which our culture is, you know, both societal and the culture that you have in your family. And then your culture impacts your identity, who you believe you are. 
And there's a reason why I put Shannon Graham right before episode 50 that we're talking about today is because we talk a lot about identity there. Um, I recorded that months before it was aired. So I've been working on, on Shannon's stuff for a while. But anyways, so it's language shapes your culture, both societal and familial, which shapes your identity, who you believe you are, which shapes your thoughts. Your thoughts shape your actions and your actions shape your results. Every single action that you have, the predecessor to that is a thought. Anything that ever existed in this world once existed in somebody's mind beforehand. So if you want to look at the highest level impact above culture, it's language. And so that's why I wanted to share this topic today and give you some actionable ways that you can use language to reconstruct your reality. So while I didn't explicitly talk about core values, I'm going to layer this insight with an episode that came 71 episodes later with Darius Mershazadeh. So this was episode number 121. Darius wrote the book called The Core Value Equation. Uh, here is the clip from Darius's episode. I kind of want to set some of the foundational principles that you talk about in your books. And, and, and one of them is core values equals decisions equals actions equals results. Uh, so I would love for you to kind of share what that means and kind of how you came to that conclusion and why that's so important. Yeah. So, so look, I think that core values, the, the, before we go there, I want to say that the, the, the conclusion I came to like from, this is 2008 when I had this aha moment in Cambridge over the next five years, I really figured out how do you make operationalized values. And the conclusion I came up to was two things. You need to discover them as you just mentioned a moment ago. That's the easy part, by the way. There's plenty of, it's a well-worn path of people that have discovered values that that they don't operationalize. The key to it is you have to design them to become viral and sticky for the organization. Mm -hmm. Then you have to go and affect that. And there's we do it two ways. One is an introduction to the values, a core value rollout. And then last but not least, how do you make them alive and well in a, in a way that's easy? For the organization. All this has to be easy or else nobody will do it. And then last but not least, you have to measure for efficacy and optimize it in your life. Whether you're doing it in your personal life or your business life, it's the same. Um, and so I figured that out. I figured out how to do that over the next few years. And then I did it. In my next business, I grew that business from 13 to 300 employees in 18 months. And then I grew it to a thousand employees in the next 18 months. And there was this moment about 18 months in when I had grown to about 300 people where I was at a team build and there's like 70 or 80 of my employees there. And I'm, I just had this moment where I was like, you know, I remember back to, to when I called myself the firefighter at twin capital when it sucked and I wasn't doing well. And I was 30 people and, and it was hard, but here I was, I'd grown from 30 to 30, yeah, with 30 to 300 people in a year and a half. And it was easy. Like, like it wasn't hard at all. It was like the easiest growth I ever had. I 10 X my previous, like, business that was a pain in the ass when it was that, that, that small size. And it was nothing. It was easy. I did it with, without even thinking. And, and I didn't have a lot of the scaffolding that you have at 300. I didn't have an HR department and a marketing department. I didn't have all the things you think, all the things you think I had, I had mostly didn't have any of them. What I had was really strong values. And so I'm sitting there and I'm hearing people at this team build and they're all using core values as the language. Like they're hmm. talking in core value language. And I just had this aha moment where I'm like, holy shit, core values have become the language of my company. So fast forward to five years later, four years later, and I was working with this uh, really well-known coach in here in Southern, uh, in Texas, in Dallas named Dr. David Zellman. And we're doing this really cool program he, he does with people called Transitions. 
and I'm kind of going through this spot in my life where I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to level up and, and I'm almost 40 at the time. And, um, <clears throat> you know, he asked me a question. He says, Darius, what do you think creates all the results in your life? And I said, I don't know. Is it like the, like the actions we take? And he said, yeah. Okay. Well, what do you think causes you to take the actions you, you take? And I said, um, is it like the decisions we make? Well, he said, well, yeah. Well, what do you think makes like makes you make the decisions you make? And then he stumped me and I couldn't answer him. So he finally gave me the answer. He said, well, what if I argued that it's the conversations you're having? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like conversations equals decisions equals actions equals results. So I started thinking. So I, I, le I left that conversation and I thought about it. We had one more meeting a month later and I, I come back to that meeting and I, and, I, and I said, you know, I had a lot of time to think about what you're talking about. And it's interesting. Like I noticed when I'm having the right conversations, I love the results. And when I'm having the wrong conversations, I don't like the results, whether that's internally, it's externally, it's in my business, in my personal life. And so it was really interesting. I started realizing if you can kind of control the conversations, whether they're happening internally in your head or with your spouse or with your kids, or your loved ones, or your friends, that you can control the results a little better. Conversations equals results, right? And so fast forward to 90 days after that, we do a postmortem and it's in the new year and he calls me up and he goes, and I'm like, listen, man, I've had this epiphany. I said, what, what do you think our conversations are made of? And he says, and now it's like the student becomes a teacher. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, words? I said, right. And what if I told you I, I believe that core values have the opportunity to become the language of accountability for an organization? And if your core values are the language of accountability in your language, in your life or in your organization, are they then not the words that you're using? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, and then wouldn't that make them the conversations that are being had or they're having being had because of the values that are, exist? And he said, yeah. And I said, and then wouldn't that control the decisions you make? And he says, yep, which lead to the actions, which lead to the results. And there's a thing in mathematics called the law of transitive uh, equality, I believe. A Sounds about B, right. <laughs> what is that? Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, it's if A equals B and B equals C and C equals D and D equals E, A equals E. And so that's where the title of the book was born from. It was this epiphany based on this coaching I had done and based off of this realization I had that core values are the language of accountability when we use them properly. And if our conversations equal our results, then our core values equals our results. So again, that was Darius Mershazadeh, episode 121. He wrote the book, The Core Value Equation. And I would obviously encourage you to go read the whole book because this has been one of the most effective ways that I've found to not only document your core values, but to make them sticky, to make people remember them, to make people turn that into the language that impacts the culture. But if you're going to skip to one part of that book, just read chapter five, chapter five details out the process. And, uh, Darius came on the show. He was originally recommended by John Broman. Uh, and I think I might play a clip from John about, uh, the insights that he got from this as, as well, but just to show you an example, as a result of implementing Darius's work, here are my four core values. And actually, um, Darius talks about how your core values don't change. And I, I, I think I, I agree with that. Um, but 
the, the it's funny because the first one I think I might rename because now I'm talking about beyond curious. I, I after finishing Darius's process, I called it childlike curiosity. So I'll read it as it is right now. But now that I'm stepping into beyond curious, I might update this. It's the same core value, but I might just put a little bit of different language around it. So anyways, first core value, childlike curiosity. The world is a beautiful and wonderful place to live. As a curious adventurer, I believe that lessons await around every corner. My beliefs are written in pencil, not pen, and I am on a never-ending pursuit to upgrade the lenses I use to view the world. I'm curious about finding a better way. I'm curious about what makes others tick. I'm curious when things go wrong to find the lesson hiding in the shadows. And above all, I'm curious about myself and my limitless potential. My capacity is only limited by my level of curiosity. So that is childlike curiosity core value number one. The second core value is called deep connection. Through connection, all is possible. I dare to connect deeper with myself and to love myself unconditionally. My limitless value is non-negotiable. I dare to connect deeper with others, give unconditionally, trust them, love them. I dare to connect people, ideas, and observations to come up with creative solutions. And while I'm busy changing the world, I connect deeply with the moment because it's all that I have. So again, Look at the overlap between these concepts. Curiosity is my number one superpower. Connection is my number two superpower, right? And not to really rank these because these are all super important, all interconnected, but there is a direct mirror between my superpower and my core values, right? <laughs> so again, pay attention to all these things because they're gonna come into play together. Third core value, conscious storytelling. My stories are the medium of my reality. By elevating my stories, I upgrade my reality. I believe in the power of story to change lives and am committed to telling empowering stories to myself and the people I serve. I believe that reality is simply the stories I tell myself about my life. By consistently choosing the empowering story, I live in bliss. Interpretation, not causation, determines my reality. That is my third core value, conscious storytelling. And the third one is be an expansion catalyst. Everything starts with me. I'm committed to becoming the best version of myself and supporting others in doing the same. Every moment presents an opportunity to do this. I realize that I can't read the label from inside the jar and I have a duty in sharing honestly what I see with the intention of helping others to be truer to themselves. This means telling the honest truth even if the truth hurts. I actively give and receive feedback both positive and negative in a respectful and loving way. I am a catalyst. I create change. I push humanity forward and I do it in a respectful, enthusiastic, appreciative, and loving way. That's another acronym I invented, real, respectful, enthusiastic, appreciative, and loving. So there you go. Those are my four core values as a result of implementing Darius's work, childlike curiosity, deep connection, conscious storytelling, and be an expansion catalyst. And, um, this has just been super powerful. So if those resonate with you, there's probably a chance while you're listening to my voice is you have similar core values. You align with some of those things that I was saying. So one of the things that you'll notice is that I wrote them to be usable and memorable. So two more exclamation points on core values that I want to add. Uh, the first is a clip that came from my episode with John Vroman. John was the one that has used Darius's process and he was actually the one that first brought this to my attention. So here is how John has leveraged his core values in his life.
we wrote our core values for front road ads this year and I've got them hanging on my wall right here. They're, they're incredible. They're incredibly moving. In fact, when we have people that want to join the brotherhood, we say, just read the core values. And when you do, it's one page document. You'll know, because if any part of you is like, nah, then you're not right for our group. And if you read that and go, hell yeah, then you're probably a good fit for our community. Like this is a filtering decision for hires. This is a filtering decision for members. This is a filtering decision for all of what we do on a daily basis. And it's super fun. And I got to give a shout out to my buddy, Darius Mirshazadeh, who wrote the book, The Core Value Equation, who spent hours with me talking about Front Row Dad's core values and helping me understand how to write it in a way that moves people. Because a lot of people come up with their values and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean shit to them. Like they come up with their values and it's like something that just hangs on their wall. Like they checked off the box that they did their values, but they don't really, it doesn't move them. It doesn't, it doesn't direct them. It doesn't move other people. And partially because of the way that they're written, they need to be written in a way, Brandon, where it's like, what does it look like to show up that way? Cause we all see like you have the value of integrity. Well, the way you define integrity, the way I define integrity is very different. So when we define it clearly, which is hard to do, right? Hard to do, uh, hard to narrow it down because you're like, I value a thousand things. Well, then, you know, if, if you value everything, then you kind of value nothing, right? Like we got to know what's at the core. There's a lot of work to be done there. Okay, once again, that was John Vroman. John was actually episode number 42, if you wanna check that out. And just to put a final bow on top of all this, I'm going to play a clip from my episode with the CEO of Meetup, David Siegel. So here's the clip with David about core values. And so I would love for you to share a little bit about, maybe we can start with core values and we can go to some of the other stuff, but maybe if you could talk to a little bit about what the core value situation was like when you walked into Meetup and how you began to reframe that and think about establishing the core values for the company. Amazing. Okay, great. And by the way, deprioritization is more important than prioritization. And too often people are just keep wanting to prioritize, 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 and not like say, what are you not going to do? And you're right. Decision-making is oftentimes about saying what you're not going to do to cut things off from you. And I love that, that call out. So Meetup was a very unique culture in that when I joined, the culture was incredibly mission-oriented, which was good. Um, everyone believed in the power of connections and the ability for um, the world to be a better place because of getting together and how community could help people. The challenge was a couple of things. One was that people were kind of a very like a nonprofit kind of mentality of saying that, you know, financial gain, revenue, profit, you know, bad, um, and, and helping people good. They didn't understand the fact that in order to be a sustainable business, you have to be a sustainable company. In order for the company to be able to help others, we have to make sure that we're effective ourselves. So I came in, the company was losing $18 million a year. The, the number of people that were as part of the company were just ballooned out to double or triple the number of people from a couple of years prior. And we were at risk of not being able to help people because we wouldn't even be able to exist because we were losing so much money. So one challenge was that there was a lack of financial discipline and there was just an, an entire focus on doing good rather than making sure that we're a company that could be self-sustaining and, 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 and valuable. In addition to that, uh, our founder um, 
chose a lot of different values. At one point we had, I think it was like 24 different values in the company. And no one can remember what values were actually important and not important, but you can't have 24 values in a company. That's kind of ridiculous. That's not a way to run something. So we ran a six month process to figure out what's the real core values of the company. And we came up with six core values. And I'll share the six core values with you right now. And that's the basis for all decision-making, who we hire, who we fire, who we promote, how people are, 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 are uh, increased co compensation. So the six values are the following six. And for those that have the book at home, it's page 104. Here we go. So the six are, number one, trust and transparency. The best way to build a company is to build trust for your employees. And the best way to have trust is through being as transparent as possible, sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly, not just sharing the good, but share everything, share financial, share everything. That's one. Second is focusing on impact. You can't have an impact if you don't focus. You try to do a million different things at once. Entrepreneurs know it's really tough to succeed. And ultimately, you're about impact. Number three, invite changes. Don't just like accept change. Don't just let change happen to you. Don't be begrudging about change. How can I invite change proactively to have great things happen? Number four, stepping up. Don't just care about what your job description is, but figure out how do I work outside of my job description? How do I do things that step up to the next level? We even give out a step up reward for people um, so, so that when they, with, so each month when someone is the biggest person that steps up. Number five, in no particular order, is elevating people. Everything happens to people. Smart decisions are people. Built products are built because of the people. Everything happens because of people. It's about elevating people. Last but definitely not least is leading with integrity, which needs to underpin everything that we do. So those six values are not just on the wall. They're like everywhere surrounding all decision-making for the company. And by the way, Brandon, the other thing it is, I didn't dictate them. We had a committee made up of junior people, a couple of years out of college, mid-level people, some senior executives, collaborate together, had dozens of meetings, hundreds of hours, and previewed it with many different people. And ultimately, a value system is never something that could be direct, directed top down. Many people when I first joined Meetup said, what are the core values going to be? And I said, no, we need to live in this world for a little bit. We need to get to know each other a little bit. And it took six months after we started. We didn't start for six months after I started even. So it took a full year until we actually made that jump because they said, it's, it's too important to rush. There are things that we could rush. Strategy of a company, we could even rush. We have to make sure that our core values, our mission are something that takes time. We do that in, in an empowered way, not in a direct way. So David Siegel was episode number 103. If you want to go explore my episode with the CEO of Meetup, but I will just conclude this section by saying core values guide your decisions, which guide your life. So think about the power of having your core values documented that helps you to make more effective decisions. And imagine layering that on top of having a clear vision of what you want, knowing your superpowers. This is a trifecta of incredible goodness. It's super juicy and I just feel so alive having this level of clarity and also giving myself permission to understand that I'm still testing. I'm still tweaking. I'm figuring out new adaptations, new meanings, new depth to all of these things. But I now am confident in a point where I have all these things and they're clearly documented that empower me to live life on purpose. So all of this rolls into that big question. What is your why? What is your purpose? Remember, we're going to go, I'm going to read, read this question that, that I've answered for 150 episodes. How can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? Just as a reminder, again, to the question, the answer that 
feels right for me. That is my answer that we're exploring. That is to turn your business into a vehicle that directly helps you to live your life's purpose. And I took you on this journey to help you build data points to help you to document and identify your life's purpose. And all that, all those things played into my understanding and arrival of what I now believe to be my life's purpose. So to kick off this part of the conversation about how I went about uncovering my why and providing you with some incredible resources on how you can do that yourself if you feel like you don't have that level of clarity yet, I would love for you to listen to this part of an interview that I did with Brian Scudamore. He is the founder of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and this is the part of the conversation where we talk about Brian's why, my why, and also what Brian did to uncover his why, because that's actually going to lead us directly into the main exercises I would recommend that you complete if you are looking at documenting this for yourself. So here's Brian. And my why is very much like the sign behind me. It's kind of fun to do the impossible uh, is a Walt Disney quote. My why is I love seeing others dream big for themselves. I want to challenge and push people to imagine big possibilities because if you imagine big possibilities, you never know they might just happen. So I get to, through my organization, take people, the 66% of the world who is inspired to start their own business, but they don't actually take the step because they don't know how, I can offer some help and support to people that want to start a franchise with a proven recipe versus building something from scratch. And so my why is really inspiring big ideas and others and then giving them a friendly little push to go out and make it happen. And that's what motivates me in the world, watching people grow, watching people do big things. You know, your audience, there might be someone there that reaches out to me and goes, Brian, oh, I read BYOB. I, I'm inspired to start my own business, whether a franchise or not. What do you recommend are my next steps? And, you know, being able to inspire somebody to live the dream that I feel I'm living as an entrepreneur, the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, the learning and the growth the satisfaction of not just making money, but watching your team grow and thrive, thrive it's, it's unbelievable. I couldn't imagine a better career for me. I can't even imagine the clarity that that provides you to have that as an understanding that, you know, your why is to inspire big possibilities and others. So, and I, I think anyone listening hears that it's like, that sounds incredible, but I don't know what mine is. And obviously you've worked with Simon, but you know, what can you maybe tell a little bit about some of the things that you learned along the way and understanding that? How did you uncover that that was at the core of what you do? Because it directly translates into what I would assume that that impacts your pic painted pictures, which I'd love to talk about as well. Mm -hmm. But like, how talk a little bit about the journey of uncovering that why for yourself personally. Yeah. So big fan of the book that Simon wrote starts with why. So I think that's a great place for anybody to start. But what Simon did, and clearly the guy's a rock star and has a process he ran me through a day of going deep back into my childhood and asking question after question after question, not as a psychiatrist, psychologist type, but just trying to uncover what am I good at? What do I love to do? Marcus Buckingham, an, another famous author, would say, first play to your strengths. Someone like me who failed out of school, couldn't finish school, couldn't sit still. I'm not an idiot. I've got lots of strengths and gifts in the world play to my strengths, under, un, understand what those are. And so we went back into my childhood and it was things like, you know, I started a car wash uh, as a young kid in my neighborhood and had a price war with the neighbor across the street and rallied other kids in the neighborhood to work with me and make some money and clean cars and do marketing on the corners. 
Uh, I started a school store selling candies and chocolate bars from my dorm room. Like we just started to go into my past was all about the fun and the growth behind doing something new, doing something that nobody thought could be done. I mean, I was making way more money doing this car wash than my friends, you know, were making in summer jobs years later. And so it was just me rallying people behind a possibility. And it somehow just came out. And I was like, wow, yes, that's exactly it. And so it can take years to uncover your why. But what's been great is once Simon helped me uncover it, it's never changed. It's never felt wrong. It's always felt like exactly why I am here doing what I'm doing. So then what it does for me, which is interesting, is it gives you purpose in your life where you know why I know why I'm on this podcast, because someone might hear my passion for my why, my passion for franchising, for building businesses, for trying things differently, for being willing to fail. Someone might hear that and go, oh, I get it. And it triggers something in them. And I think the world's about making the world a better place. If we can all share our gifts with others, clearly you have one um, or many, you know, once you understand it and you're clear on it, every decision you do is about making uh, progress towards your why. So beautiful. I would encourage anyone, as you mentioned, I used Simon's process. He's got another book called find your why. If I remember correctly, it's like designed to be supplemental to start with why. And I did that same process with a close friend of mine where they just asked me about all my childhood experiences and they were looking for those common threads. And so I'm 26. I understand that it'll most likely evolve, but my greatest understanding of my why is to create a more deeply connected world. Uh, And so I think podcasting is one of the best mediums to do that. And so the clarity that it's provided me and the relationships and the way that I approach things has been incredible. So I love that you have that as a through line as well. And that's been a super strong skill set of yours. And, and, And Brandon, I will add when you've got your why, so if yours is to create a better, more deeply connected world, when someone's got their why, the test is when I'm doing things towards that why, am I just so lit up and passionate and excited? Um, Does it feel right? Because it's one thing to put it down in paper, uh, on paper and say, this is why I'm here. But it's got to not just feel right. You just, everyone around you is like, yes, that is your why. And, you know, when people say to me, I'm a possibility guy, it's not because I'm telling them that it's just, that's all the work I'm doing in the area of my why others recognize it and they point it out. And so when it's all working, that's where the magic happens. So kudos for you at half my age, uh, figuring it out sooner than, uh, than I did. Once again, that was Brian Scudamore from episode number 108 What an amazing human. He is such an amazing human. The dude is running like a $600 or $700 million year company. I don't remember what it was at when we talked, but he is the most humble, amazing, down-to-earth person. So yeah, it's just super cool to see Brian living in alignment with who he is. And uh, I'm definitely inspired by his why and the impact that he's made in my life. So I thought the actual best way to transition from this is actually to go deep into that resource that Brian and I were just talking about on that episode. This resource is fantastic. It comes from uh, Simon Sinek's book, Find Your Why, Not Start With Why. And uh, it's this exercise he calls Peaks and Valleys. So I did this exercise with my good friend, Dimitris, and I will read, like, I think it's like about a page 
uh, yeah, about a page of peaks and valleys so that you can do this yourself. But obviously I would encourage you to go pick up the entire book, find your why, if you want to hear the context behind this, but here is peaks and valleys. So the, and this is coming directly from his book. So draw a horizontal line across the middle of a piece of paper stories. You put above the line are those you consider happy memories moments. You'd enthusiastically relive stories below the line are events that you wouldn't necessarily want to relive, but that impacted your life and shaped who you are today. Write a few words to encapsulate each story. As you fill out the chart, the higher you plot the stories above the line, the more fulfilling and positive they were. The lower you plot the stories below the line, the more challenging or difficult they were. You'll probably end up with stories at various levels. When it comes time to choose the stories, you'll tell your partner, choose the highest of the highs and lowest of the lows. These are the stories that carry the most emotion and therefore the ones that will most clearly lead to your why. You probably won't share all the stories you've noted on the page. In fact, you may share other stories that you think of spontaneously when you are with your partner. It's all good. This exercise is just a starting point to get the juices flowing. So I did that exercise. I did that exactly as it was intended. I put my high points and low points, sat down with my good friend, Demetrius, and I just talked. I shared all the stories and your job or your partner's job is literally just to listen. And it's also to dig in for specificity and just to give you the space to share your stories. And then after that session, your partner and you look through all those stories and you're just attempting at coming up with what is that through line? What are the common threads of all these stories that have shaped you into who you are today? And I just want to share this with you because I think this is really important. My why as it is today didn't come right away. It came maybe a month or so later, it kind of clicked into the format that it's started to take shape of today. And it's, it's even evolved a little bit more in the way that I phrase it, but I, the, the core of it is the same. But anyways, I just wanted to share with you that this has been a process for me. It wasn't like I did this exercise. I sat down with Dim. We, you know, came up with it. And, you know, so again, with all of these tools, this has been a constant evolution process. But anyways, here was the first version of my why after coming out of this exercise. It was to inspire and pursue growth. Well, oh, sorry, to ex- inspire people to pursue growth while expanding their fulfillment so that the world becomes a more connected and loving place to live. So, um, you know, it was kind of in the right direction, but now that I've played with it more and have, you know, continued to do this deep dive and and look at the intersection between my purpose, my superpowers, my core values, all the things we've been talking about. So now, as I've mentioned before in this episode, my why or my purpose is to create a more deeply connected world by catalyzing curiosity. So um, it, I'm, I'm constantly looking to grow and evolve. So I'm going to continue to find new depths, new understandings of what that means. And maybe the phrasing will change slightly, but the core of it is I'm all about connection and curiosity, which is again, another reason why I'm super, super, super excited to dive into this world of beyond curious. Okay. So we have covered a lot. And again, so grateful for you and appreciative for you for investing in yourself and hanging and listening to this masterclass of this journey that I've been on. And I I hope that there's a bunch of nuggets in here that are helping you to point out what these seeds of genius were that will lead to you uncovering your why, your core values, your vision, all those incredible things. So um, that last chunk was the first part of this equation, this answer that we're solving for. Remember, we're all about learning how we can turn our 
our business into a vehicle that directly helps you to live your life's purpose. So now you understand the things that you can do to help uncover what you want, document your superpowers, determine your core values, and then come up with your why or your purpose. The next part of that answer is how do we then turn a business our business into a vehicle that helps us to live out this life's purpose. So to introduce this concept, I would love to play a clip from my episode with my good friend, Jonna Lee. And ironically, this episode hasn't even come out yet because of the way that <laughs> it's, it's already recorded. So here's a early preview, at least the time of this recording uh, for Jonna Lee. And she's going to set up this next part of the conversation. So I'm going to build on this and ask, and this is a hard question, but I'm curious if you can maybe share, Jonna, one of the patterns that's come up on the show is so many people don't know what they want, right? Mm. Like just plain, plain and simple, right? Like, so yeah. how do you create yeah. a strategic vision if you don't know what the hell you want? And I'm sure like, you know, you can even have the most successful CEO in the world and they might not even know what the hell they want still. Right. So like yeah. in these CEOs that you've coached, as they're making this transition of like, well, I've always been an innovative squirrel, like going and doing my thing. And now I have to actually sit down and commit to something like, what are some yeah. of the ways questions or thought exercises that you might encourage someone to ask themselves? Because this is an exploration conversation totally. internally of determining your strategic vision. That's in alignment with who you are and what you want to do in the world. Yes. And I think you just hit on it, Brandon. And I would also turn this question back to you because I think this actually squalls, falls squarely within your zone of genius. It's something you're <laughs> very talented at doing. Um, but you just said it, right? Like we have to start with who am I and what is the effect I want to have in the world, right? Because I think the challenge most people run into with setting a strategic vision is that they set a monetary target. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want to make X amount of dollars. And now I have to reverse engineer across the literally thousands of options of ways there is to make money. And if I don't have any other guideposts other than what's going to make me money, none of those options come off the table. I have no way of making those decisions. And that's what, that's literally what shiny object syndrome is, right? Is like just constantly chasing the next revenue play versus starting from a more fundamental level, level, which is realizing that you are the expression of your business because you're building this thing. And so for you to be able to set yourself up for success in that, you have to get clear on why am I choosing this business model? Why am I choosing this client niche to serve and to target? What, what is important to me about the impact I want to have, the type of business I want to work in? For example, a bunch of digital marketing agency owners that I know, which is a super labor intensive business model who don't want to lead people and who hate managing, right? <laughs> cool. If we'd gotten clear on that at the beginning, we would have chosen a different business model, one that requires yeah. less team, right? So getting clear on like, again, what do you, what are your core values as a human being? How do you want to show up? What do you want your lived experience of running your business to look like? What is the impact and effect that you want to have in the world? And is there a segment of society that you feel really passionate about when you create that transformation for them? These are things to get clear on first before going out and asking yourself the question, what business model is going to make me money? Because these offer you a rubric against which to not say yes to things, but to say no to things. Digital marketing agency model, fantastic model, could absolutely make you a ton of money. But if you, but if it does not check the boxes, as far as what you want your business to feel like as a founder, 
don't do it. There are plenty of other ways to make just as much money in the world, right? So when I start with CEOs, it's a challenge because they're already into you know the seven-figure run rate or beyond with their business. But we still have to bring it back to the basics of why did you start this company? What do you want this company to feel like? And is the model and the team you've set yourself up for actually going to help you accomplish that? And that is a very crunchy conversation to have. Oh, super crunchy. All the crunch. Yep. Extra All peanut the crunch. butter crunch. Once again, that was my dear friend, Jonna Lee, and I would love to give you a show number, but as I record this right now, the episode hasn't come out yet, so I would just encourage you to go check out spyglassops.com. Jonna is an operations expert. She's also partnered with Cameron Harold, who uh, had an episode on the show as well. He came out on episode number 123, and uh, Jonna, if you're listening, I love you. I appreciate you so much and uh, so grateful for you, but I, the reason why I wanted to play this clip is because Jonna sets this up perfectly. And I always love giving multiple perspectives, but the two variables that have been the most insightful for me that Jonna touched on are one, who do you want to serve? And two, what is the impact that you want to create? So I love to zoom in on both of those variables. So let's start with who do you want to serve? Who you choose to serve in your business is one of the most massive filters that are going to impact so many different ways, the way that your business play out. This has become very apparent in many of the episodes with my guests. Uh, if you want some supplemental resources of guests that I think have come that have really powerful ways of thinking about this, I would encourage you to listen to Justin Breen, who is episode 124, Mike Canings, who is episode 117, Shannon Graham, who you heard from earlier, was episode number 49, and Pia Silver. Pia Silva, episode number 94. But the most important insight that I want to share around who do you serve is specificity and curating your people that you're serving around core values. In my opinion, the psychographics are way more important than the demographics. So I'll share with you my approach and some ways that you can think about this. But obviously I'm a little bit biased because I have a podcast, but I 100% recommend using a podcast to explore your curiosity to naturally discover who you work with best. Because what I've done is as I've completed interviews and as I've reviewed my guest list, I'm always asking myself what podcast episodes resonated with me the most? What were the characteristics of the guests? What were the content that they shared? What was their personality? Those are all things that I can study and use that to create a avatar of the people that I want to serve. If you don't have a podcast, I would encourage you to do the same thing and except do it with your past clients. What do your best clients have in common? How can you more clearly define the characteristics that they have? And here's, if, if I already have one suggestion though, that doesn't matter if you have a podcast or if you don't have a podcast, is really go back to the questions that you answered around your core values if you've actually taken the time to do this. And the biggest question that unlocked for me in helping to identify the people I wanna serve is figuring out ways to determine if you have aligned core values. So the question to ask yourself is, what would be the leading indicators that would show that someone shares your core values. And I've taken this to the next level because I'll give you an example. So I have this, this tool I created, I call it the giver's handbook, and I can basically leverage LinkedIn to find people that not are not only are in my target market from a demographics perspective, but also have alignment with my core values. And the way that I do this is that I look at my core values and I determine what are the key words that people would be using if they shared this core value. And then I can literally use LinkedIn 
and search for these keywords inside of their bios um, or inside of their experiences or descriptions or whatever it is. So if we're curating for curiosity, some words they might be using inside of their LinkedIn bio are learner, learning, lifelong learner, open-minded, curious, curiosity, adventurous, adventurer, explorer, right? Those are all indicative of somebody that is curious. Or maybe I wanna curate around my core value of deep connection. Uh, some keywords would be connection, relationships, connector, collaborator, community builder, community, mentorship, mentor, giver, uh, love, kindness, respect, compassion, gratitude, right? Those are all indicators that they share that core value of deep connection. So that is literally from a, a perspective. It's like you could, if you have these keywords in mind, associated with your core values. If you are reading someone's website, if you're looking at their LinkedIn profile, it will help you to more quickly determine if there is core value alignment, AKA those psychographics that are really important in the people that you want to serve. So anyways, I've done a deep, deep dive on the people that I want to serve most. And what I did is I actually created a description of the people that I love hanging the most, uh, that, that, I created this description as a result of going back through all those questions that I just asked. So I'm going to read this for you uh, as an example of how I've begun to paint the picture of the people that I want to work with inside of my business. So here it is. The people I serve first and foremost share my primary core value of childlike curiosity. They believe that their capacity is only limited by their level of curiosity. They're relentlessly curious about themselves, their impact, the people they love and the world around them. This is what drives them to be an entrepreneur. They are constantly asking themselves, what if, I wonder, why not? And pushing the boundaries of what is possible just because they're so damn curious they can't help themselves. They get ideas in their head and they can't help but do something to bring it to life. Their life is a showcase of their curiosity. You'll probably see them doing crazy shit, traveling, starting companies with unique approaches, running ultra marathons, sharing content or creations the world hasn't seen, and taking up obscure hobbies just because they want to. They aren't afraid to experiment and quote unquote fail, because to them, it's all about satisfying their curiosity. And the payoff for them is just seeing what the hell would happen if they tried. People that see them post on social media most likely often wonder, I wonder what crazy shit they're up to now, because that's just how they approach life. They view entrepreneurship as a vehicle to fuel their curiosity and expand their capacity to create impact. Entrepreneurship to them is not about money. It is so much deeper. They view their business as a spiritual vehicle, teaching them the exact lessons they need to become a better version of themselves and to serve the world in a bigger way. They know that if they show up with a focus on impact and contributing their superpowers to the world, that they will be rewarded with wealth, which is significantly different from money. At the same time, they live life like children in the most pure and beautiful sense of the world. They play, laugh, dream, view life as one big adventure, don't think in limits, don't take themselves too seriously, and don't let their egos rule. They are constantly having fun. They're imaginative, present, loving, and trusting. But don't let their inner child and free-flowing way of approaching the world fool you. They care deeply about creating an impact and serving their community in deep ways. Individually, they are powerful, but together they can change the world. The second primary characteristic they have is they are clear on their life's current purpose and are working directly on projects in alignment with their core purpose. They are start with why leaders who actively inspire through their powerful visions for the world. Everything I do is centered around serving these people, the curiosity-driven, purpose-led, connection-focused entrepreneurs who are driven to create a more deeply connected world and have fun while doing it. So that is a 
very detailed description that kind of just in my mind solidifies the kind of humans that I'm looking for. Uh, so hopefully that description, maybe if it resonated with you, maybe it didn't, but didn't, but it's supposed to attract or repel. And I don't have this as copy right now that's on a site or anything, and it probably will be used for that. But this is all things that uh, will help you to get more clarity around who you want to serve if you if you do that detailed deep dive. Um, but let's let's go a little bit past the uh, characteristics that are the psychographics and dive more into the demographics. Uh, again, I would recommend, I think if I had to make one recommendation, go listen to my episode with Mike Canings, the one that was episode number 117, because he is super, super good at this. Um, but just to kind of get even clearer around the characteristics of who I'm looking at serving, it has come from this study of the guests and the people that resonated me with mo the, me the most. So they are visionary entrepreneurs, which means they're owners, founders, and CEOs. They're most likely some form of thought leader. So so they are authors, TED, or doing TEDx talks, podcasters, speakers. They most likely sell premium products, $5,000 at a minimum, most likely a lot higher than that. They sell premium consulting, coaching, uh, or creating community. Um, they're, they're typically over 40 years old and they have a community of people that they lead with their thought leadership or are building a community. So those are some more like really clear, um, you know, demographic data, but another way that I've gone even deeper with this, um, that, that I think is super valuable as well. And I learned this from Justin Breen, uh, but he's like obsessed with using Colby to determine, uh, people's thinking preferences and then leveraging Colby scores to actually filter for the kind of people that he works with. So, uh, Justin, I believe, and Mike Canings, I believe as well, literally don't work with anybody that's not at least a seven or higher quick start on the Colby. <laughs> and remember Colby is one of these tests that I mentioned way earlier before. Uh, so I'm a five, four, eight, three, remember uh, another valuable thing to show you your strengths, but you can also leverage this test to filter for the kind of people that you want to work uh, with. So, I've done a deep dive and I'll explain this a little bit in the next section of what is the impact you want to create. But I have literally as a function of starting to create community with the guests that have come on my show, I have had them take these tests and I have studied their tests to create a profile around the psychographic and demographic, uh, characteristics, but the, the, details that these tests reveal are super, super important. So anyways, here are a few insights of my ideal person that I want to serve from the perspective of the tests that I've already given you hints at before that are super valuable and helping you to uncover your superpower, but it's also very valuable from the lens of curating the people that you want to work with. So my dream avatar, the people I want to serve from a Colby perspective, again, a test that measures your instinctive way of doing things. They're high quick start. So they're, they're probably seven or higher, a risk taker. They think outside of the box to come up with new ideas. They're fearless in trying them out. They leap first and have a bias towards action. They are also most likely low fact finder, uh, three or less. And that means that they don't need a ton of information to take action. They just need a high level information and the bottom line. The primary human needs results are most likely a combination of growth and or contribution. So growth is needing to constantly develop new skills, learn new things, improve what they know, uh, to self develop themselves physically, mentally, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and be constantly growing. Contribution is life is incomplete without the sense that one is making a contribution to others or to a cause. They have a need to go beyond their own needs and give to others and give back and leave a mark on the world. Uh, primary human needs least like result is most likely certainty, which certainty is the assurance that you can avoid pain and gain pleasure. So these are things like comfort, security, stability, feeling grounded, predictability, and protection. 
Um, also from principles, you remember, I told you my principles, you results earlier, uh, were uh, explorer and adventurer, but what that test also shows is what you are least like that is super valuable because as I tested all of my avatars, there were several patterns that showed up, not there, there were some that showed up as the most frequently occurring primary archetype, but it was actually more prominent to see what they were least like. So two of the least like characteristics were implementer and technician. So implementers are people that organize and structure people and processes to reliably execute tasks. They tend to be precise, re reliable results oriented and more concrete and practical than philosophical. The other one was technician. Technicians are driven to break down, analyze, and solve problems in a methodical and practical way. They tend to be precise, efficient, systematic, and pragmatic. So it makes a lot of sense that if I'm working with visionary entrepreneurs that are always moving fast, breaking things, creating lots of stuff, that these are their least like results because these are incredibly important characteristics um, or personality types, implementers, and technicians. They need to be paired with a visionary, right? But like, it's just important for me to know that the visionaries that I'm serving do not have these characteristics most likely. And they're, they're very often very weak in these things. Um, some other things in strengths finder I've noticed of frequently occurring primary strengths is that they're strategic. They're also futuristic people that are uh, inspired by the future and what could be. And also <laughs> uh, PMAI, again, that archetype test, one of the least common results uh, that I think came up from the people that I've studied is that uh, the least common archetype was realist. So again, just like with principles, you, it's important to look at the the least like pattern and realists are common sense people, which enables them to recognize what is achievable and what is not uh, realists trust their own experience, typically avoiding pipe dreams or risking new ideas. So anyways, that is a deep dive on the other way of leveraging these tests that I'm so obsessed with is using it to create a very detailed picture of the people that you want to serve. Um, and I know I've been talking about this a lot, but this is super valuable. And I want to share with you the different ways that I have come up with this profile in my mind. So now that I'm very, very clear on the kind of people I want to work with. So a few other final characteristics that are, are kind of interesting that I've come up with is that they are real humans. They are respectful, enthusiastic, appreciative, and loving. It's that acronym I invented. They're motivated by creating a positive impact. They're committed to discovering and living their purpose in life. Uh, they are to use Mike Canning's terms, high frequency aliens. <laughs> they are conscious spiritual people, meditators, collaborators, givers, and family oriented is another thing that I would look for is they're committed to being a great husband, wife, or parent. Um, they want to have fun while creating impact while they have big visions. They don't take themselves too seriously. They most likely belong to other mastermind groups. Uh, they have testimonials and social proof of proven success. And they also have a history of being coachable or coached. So anyways, that was a massive vomit on my dream, uh, avatar that I built. But again, you can see how in depth this is and imagine the amount of clarity that it will provide you if when you're building your business, you know exactly who you want to serve at the highest level possible and you can recognize them and filter for them. Because if you don't have these guideposts, it becomes very easy to accept clients that don't fit your ideal criteria. And then all of a sudden you are um, in a world of hurt working with people that you don't want to be working with. So that is uh, everything that I have to say for now <laughs> on who do you want to serve? Okay, we are on the final question that I want to ask you and share with you how I've arrived at answering this question for myself. And that is what is the impact you want to create? So the biggest clarity that I had around this topic came when I started to curate and bring my guests together in this experience that I created called an expedition. So remember 
earlier, I was sharing with you that I wanted to, I uncovered that I wanted to create my own mastermind and I gave myself permission to do this around the 4th of July, uh, 2022. And I shared that on the, the, that helped me to uncover that was the big equals insight, but the seed was actually planted several months before Michael shine was a guest that came on my show. And he was, I was coming to New York where he was from. And he gave me this idea of bringing together a group of guests that have all been on my show before from New York. So I ran an in-person meetup with my friend, Michael Roderick. It ended up being super, super small and it was fun. And I thought that that would be it, but it wasn't until that insight that I got on the 4th of July when I realized I should be consistently doing this, that I want to have my own mastermind and I should be doing this virtually so that I can kind of curate all these people, all these people that I've interviewed from all over the world. And so this is the experience that I crafted. I call it an expedition. It's exclusively for guests that have been on my show. And this is essentially how I pitch it to them. It's like, you know, the kind of people I curate, you know, seven, eight, nine figure entrepreneurs, New York times, bestselling authors, blah, 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 blah. Uh, because I go so deep on each episode, that is a huge value prop to you because I can facilitate facilitate a deep conversation with three other people that have been on my show. And, and so you get to connect with the people that I've curated as well as not play at the surface level because I can literally drop you guys into sharing your greatest insights, greatest stories and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's two hours. It's virtual. You won't know who's coming in advance. It's unlike anything you've ever experienced before. And it's never to be repeated with the exact group that you'll be in. And uh, basically, I was telling all of them that, you know, I'm being very selectable curating this experience, only inviting guests that have win-win personalities and are doing incredible things in the world. And so anyways, I started to run these. I think I ran nine of them uh, with four people each. And it was just, I was just learning and growing so much after every single one. Uh, but just so that you have an idea of what ended up happening, here is a clip that comes from, it's, a, it's this reel I put together of people reacting to their experience. Uh, but anyways, before I play this clip, I just wanna say the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because I had this inkling that, you know, remember the insight is, my, my, my purpose is to create a more deeply connected world and learning how to actually do that and connect and make an impact leveraging my connection superpowers. Like I was doing one-on-one -on -one stuff, but these expeditions was me asking myself, huh, what would it look like if I did this in a different format? What, how would I feel if I started curating and bringing these people together? And how would I feel, would it, would it make me feel really good to uh, bring these people together? So anyways, here's that clip of people reacting to these events that I was putting together. Thank you for everybody's uh, insights and stuff too. Amazing, amazing human beings, which doesn't surprise me because Brandon's an amazing human being. Think, um, um, yeah. Although I don't like you personally, Brandon, you know that, of course. Yeah. I do find you fascinating and wildly intelligent. And I think the collection of people you've brought together here is amazing. I'm just sitting back taking notes on everything you said. And not only am I enamored by you already, but I see such synergy in what I think and how I present and what you've said. And I've already learned from you. So thank you so much for that. Um, you um, took time, energy, effort to really be able to go through and bring together a, a, an amazing group of humans that... You know, there's there's already instant connections with that we relate on multiple different levels. I mean, that's always the yeah, biggest thing. I think you've done something really cool here today. And I think it's been unique and, you know, really good. And your intention has always been clear since I first met you, actually. But just thank I've been invited to so many roundtables that you kind of halfway through are like, I'm doing this because I admire the person who invited me, but I wish I could get my hour and a half back, you know? <laughs> Um, I, 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 everyone's laughing. So they probably felt the same way, although we don't like to admit it. That was not in any way, shape or form the case here. I mean, great people, great insights. Uh, it, fantastic. I always thought, I was like, is this real or what? It's like, what is this guy selling me? Honestly, <laughs> my honest feedback, I was like, is this, is what, what, what is the angle here? 
And when I found there was no angle, I was really, really amazed by it. So. I'm, I'm already learning. I've got a whole page of notes just listening to who you all be <laughs> in the world. I already feel so enriched already. And we're, we're 34 minutes in. Thank you, Brandon. This was amazing. It felt like we were in like, we were back in like Renaissance times and we all had our geniuses and we we're all in this like, or like in a coffee shop, like we were like one of those like beatnik writers and we're all like sharing our work and, and it's just beginning. <laughs> this is excellent. People would pay for this, Brandon. I agree with what Debbie said. I even indicated what I would have paid be part of this. It's a wonderful thing about man, you know, humankind, isn't it? You get four or five strangers in a room and people arrive with an open spirit and sparks will fly and they'll be loved by the end. So thank you so much. No, I'm pretty comfortable swimming in my own little pond. And sometimes I forget to go swim in a bigger pond with new people. I and mean, Brandon, thank you very much for uh, the space just to create and have fun and, and play full out and, and uh, not hide out. This was great, Brandon, truly. truly. Yeah. You never see you. me, and I don't get amazed very easily. So wonderful stuff, right, brother. And I, I noticed that you had a hundred plus slides. I, I, I can't even imagine the, the time and energy you put just to put this together. So first off, thank you, brother. It's uh, I'm like, damn. You know? <laughs> We're playing small, all right. <laughs> first of all, Brandon, you, you are awesome. Uh, I, I really know. appreciate your intelligence and your intensity, uh, and, and your intent. I, uh, I I know how important it is for you to just make the biggest contribution that you're capable of making. Uh, and this is a, a really good thing you're doing, Brandon. And I also understand how much, I can see how much work and effort and thought that you've put into trying to make this uh, an experience that's valuable for all of us. So well done. I just say, I uh, just want to take a moment to acknowledge you and all the time, effort and energy you put into this. Uh, and you are truly the, the the true super connector and embodiment of that superpower. I so say, uh, I have to tell you, like I, I did so many interviews for the book and both of those are questions I don't think anybody else asked me um, because most people, I think, just read like the first chapter and then just have <laughs> it on. Um, but you you really went deep, which is why I'm here. Like, I really appreciated how much effort you put into that, how much work you put into it. Sure. Um, so it's just been awesome. a pleasure to meet meet people that are yeah just awesome that I haven't met before. <laughs> yeah, no well, simpler so way to so say true. it. <laughs> Of course, so grateful to hear those very kind words, and it was so much fun doing these. I saw the impact I was creating, the deep relationships that were forming, and because I had so much fun with this, I decided to run a paid premium version of these expeditions for an exclusive group of six people, and I just concluded that recently at the time of this recording. They loved it, and it uncovered another superpower of mine, and that is connecting creating connection through facilitation and creating unique experiences. So all this to say, I think it's really important to experiment and ask yourself the question, what makes you feel alive? What makes you feel alive? And for me, when I'm in these rooms and I see the faces of four people that I love and I get to put them all together and surprise and delight them and connect them with different ideas and connecting deeper with themselves and leverage the perspective of the group to gain insights and, and create cool tools around how to think about some, some things differently and experiences that you, people wouldn't be able to get anywhere else. That is what makes me feel alive. And that is the impact that I love creating for people. So with that deep dive and me experimenting, I've kind of arrived at this this approach that I'm taking with the impact that I want to create. And so the, the, the way that I want to create it, it and the impact I want to create is I want to catalyze deep human connection through world-class experiences and systems. So that is the insight that I got as a result of me experimenting, me asking myself what the impact I was I wanted to create and what made me feel alive. And I would encourage you to do the same. So in conclusion for this final question, I just want to share a, a really quick story of another example of 
something that solidified me realizing that this is the right way for me to be creating impact. So I was sitting in my office and I got a notification from a email list that I was a part of that a new episode was published. And it was from Dot, one of my favorite episodes that I've done on the show. Uh, he featured someone on his show and that was Hal Elrod. And the part that made me so happy and literally made me cry is I clicked on it and I opened up the video. It was a YouTube video and I saw Mo and Hal sitting on a couch doing this incredible interview, connecting deeply. And the reason why it actually made me cry was I was the one that introduced the two of them. And these are two people that I looked up to for a long time. Mo wrote a book called Solve for Happy. Hal Elrod is the creator of the Miracle Morning Movement uh, with over two and a half million copies sold. And, again, and the other thing about Mo is he was the former chief business officer of Google X. These are two humans that I read their books. I looked up to them and eventually was able to have them on the show, build a relationship with them, and then put them in the same room to have a conversation to create even bigger impact in the world. And that to me was just an incredibly emotional experience to see that these people that I looked up to were sitting on a couch connecting and creating an impact as a result of me putting them together. And so that was kind of just like a thunderclap moment for me. It's like, yes, this is the impact that I want to create is connecting people on a deep level to create a great impact in the world. So my question for you to ask is what are the results that you want to create for people that come from your superpowers? And hopefully some of the experiments that I've shared and the experiences that I've had and the questions that I've come up with help you to answer those questions for yourself. Okay. As a recap, we have covered so much and these are all incredibly hard questions to answer. But again, just so that you have the 30,000 foot overview of the journey that we've been on today. The question that I originally set out to answer was how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? The breakthrough that I had was that I needed to stop trying to emulate and be like the people that were on my show and instead become more like myself. And so the answer to that question was that I realized that I needed to turn my business into a vehicle that directly helped me to live my life's purpose. And so that is what we have been exploring is how I answered that in a way that feels right for me. And so to uncover your life's purpose, we uncovered and, and, and did a deep dive on answering several questions. What do you want? You heard different perspectives from Todd Herman, Shannon Graham, Dr. Wayne Purnell, and Gay Hendricks. And we talked about tools that you could use. Uh, like the question, what do you treasure? You learned from Gay Hendricks about how to determine your five life goals. And you also learned from Robert Tennyson Stevens, the, the concept that he talks about called the big equals. Then the next question that we answered is what are your superpower? And we talked about how one of the biggest keys for me was to correlate all these tests that I've taken. And it was that insight where we talked about, you can't read the label from inside the jar. You have to leverage other people's insights, other people's perspectives and their compliments to give you insights that you wouldn't normally be able to get on your own. So the next time someone gives you a compliment, treat it, treat it like a great gift being handed to you. Don't brush it off. Um, and then you can literally ask people what your superpowers are by texting them. And the greatest is if you can ask in person and, and transcribe what they say and go deeper with what they shared. The next question we explored was what are your core values? I gave you a clip from episode 50 where it was a solo episode for me that talked about the importance of language. I also shared insights from Darius Mershazadeh, John Broman, David Siegel, and I read my four core values. And then the last part of this section was buttoning that all up in an exercise for how you can find your why. We played a 
clip from my episode with Brian Scudamore, the founder of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and I read with you that exercise of peaks and values from the Find Your Why book by Simon Sinek. And then again, the last part that we just covered is that once you uncovered your life's purpose, you've answered those questions, how do you begin to think about creating a business that's going to be a vehicle that will serve you in doing that? There's so much to uncover, but we played the clip from John Lee that set this up, and then we explored two other questions. Who do you want to serve? And we talked about how to leverage your core values to curate um, around that. I also shared some insights about the, the how I've approached coming up with who I wanted to serve, the, uh, the other way that I've leveraged those tests to get clear on the kind of psychographic components of the people that I want to serve and how how documenting that and getting granular with that will help you. And then the last question that we answered is what is the impact that you want to create? I shared with you my journey of creating those expedition experiences and how I knew it was right for me when I saw Mo and Hal sitting on that couch and experiencing all the experiences that I've created for people, putting them in the same room. And as another reminder of something else that I mentioned that I think would be important as you kind of correlate all these things together is remember the concept I discussed about the architect versus the player. Treat all of these questions that we just answered as variables that for the architect to design a game for the player version of you to win at this game that you are creating for yourself. So I know that was so much. I am so grateful for you hanging out with me and going deep. I think the resources I provided can make a massive, massive difference in your life. And so to kind of wrap this up, I want to do something again, very special. This is just a very special episode, but I'm going to play a behind the scenes interview that I did with Alexandra Watkins. As a reminder, you've already heard about Alexandra in the opening story that I shared about the creation of Beyond Curious. But as a quick recap, she is a leading authority on brand names, founder of Eat My Words, and the author of Hello, My Name is Awesome. And she was the last official interview on Seven Figure Millennials episode number 139 because we wanted to save that to come out right before we announced Beyond Curious. So again, after all this deep work, all this journey that I just took you on, I was still struggling to come up with a brand name that would reflect my purpose, attract the kind of people I wanted to work with, and also be representative of my personality and the way that I show up in the world. That's basically what I tasked Alexander to do. No pressure. Basically like name my life purpose. (laughs) So uh, she did it. Obviously I'm super happy with the name. And for fun, I asked Alexander if she would be willing to come on again and be a part of this pivotal episode by taking us behind the curtains of how she went about naming it. And so you'll hear some of the other names that she came up with, why she loves Beyond Curious, and a bunch of other goodies along the way. So with all that said, here is a special bonus interview with the genie behind the Beyond Curious name, my friend Alexandra Watkins. Alexandra, one of the coveted, amazing guests that has returned twice, and today we get to do some really exciting stuff and take people behind the scenes of something that you created that has totally changed my life already that will be making a massive difference in other people's lives in the future. So anyways, welcome back. Super excited to have you here and to kind of take people behind the scenes of your magic on how you did this. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm so glad to be back. Yes, the birth of another one of my children. (laughs) Your name, Yes. yes. 100%. So I I know I kind of set this up a little bit, but I'll just kind of say it like, and I think I've said this to you before. It's like, when I submitted that creative brief to you, I felt like I was visiting the genie, the genie of naming, right? And it's kind of like, 
you can ask a genie anything that you want, but be careful what you ask because it's going to give you what you ask for, right? And so, you know, uh, I, d I did so much work ahead of time to kind of uncover what I believe to be the next phase for me, but it had to come from this spot of understanding what my core values were, what my superpowers were, what, what my vision is, what my purpose is. And like, I did my best to kind of give you this creative brief that encompassed this. And my task that I had given you was pretty much can you name my life purpose and personality and encompass that in like a short word or phrase? And you found something that really stuck out to me. So I think maybe a great place to start would be you get this creative brief that I sent you. That's probably ridiculously long, <laughs> but like, as you're reading through it, maybe talk us through what was going on in your head and kind of maybe how you started to leverage your process to uncover and decode uh, what became beyond curious. <laughs> okay, Brandon. So for those of you who know Brandon, you know he's a total overachiever. So it won't <laughs> it won't surprise you that Brandon Brandon like hit it out of the park with his creative brief. He most people do a good job, but Brandon went way, way beyond beyond. <laughs> and he I think his brief is 20 pages and he had normally people's creative brief is four or five pages, but he gave Brandon's done so much work on on exploring who he is, who his business is, that there was he and he gave me all this great background material and like videos to watch. And I had done the podcast before. So it, that that was a big help that I was already familiar with the product, so to speak. But the brief was super comprehensive, like just packed with words. And the more words that I have to play around with, the better. So yeah, Brandon. So some of the things that he told me about was, uh, you know, consumer. In I asked for some consumer insights and strategic consumer considerations, and he went into you know primary human needs results, you know, from his uh, <laughs> his Colby test results, his uh, all kinds of test results that he's had, like who he is, his target audience, um, but like really, really deep desired brand experiences, you know, uh, I, some of these I can't say cause they're, um, rated well, you know, whoa, WTF that's nuts. How did you do that? Or even think about doing something like that? My mind is blown. So yeah, that's the experience that people have listening to Brandon or being part of anything, his world. So yeah, but, but what it came down to reading Brandon's brief was just, you know, focusing on certain words that were really speaking to me and, you know, 20 pages encapsulated into two words. It's, it's hard to do, but the word I landed on was curious. And that's because under desired brand experiences or desired brand positioning, he wrote, um, if I had to pick one value to position with, I'd say it's childlike curiosity. I believe that curiosity is my most powerful lens to view the world with, and it's what powers all of my strengths. So like, I just had to use the word, the word curious just had to be in the name. And it's not always that easy, but this one was, it was just like, there was no other word that had to be the word. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just add on here so people can kind of hear my mindset going into it too. Cause it's like, there is a, this feeling of holy shitness, I guess, it, it, when I wrote that, because I literally, I put a lot of thought into putting that on there. Like, this is where I want to position around because it's like, it, you know, th there's this point where 
this is the whole theme of the show. You literally have to go beyond curious. And and so it's like, I had to kind of put my flag in the ground that, yeah, this is the world that I really want to explore. I want to be more curious about being curious. Cause I knew that if I had mentioned something like that, and I wanted you to go down a route that it would, that, that I would, that's obviously what I was going to get behind. So yeah, it was kind of intimidating to, to put that down there, but I'm glad that you saw the alignment in the experience of coming on the show and getting to know me a little bit. And then you, you read that and you also felt that alignment that, uh, as, as you had said to me, trusting your instincts as the namer, that that's the route that you wanted to go down. Yeah, I knew it was right for you because I'm, I'm naturally curious too. I always say my middle initial of C stands for curious and (laughs) I, you, you really are curious. You read so many books and curious people love nonfiction and as as I do, I'm in a book club. It's all I, we read whatever books we want to read, and I'm the only one in our book club that reads nonfiction. But you know, there's so much to learn, right? And you have learned so much. And people that you have on the show have that common denominator of being curious as well. So it just seemed like such a good fit for you. Yeah, I love that. So if I, I'm just going to say this, I know I've said it, but I'll say it again. We specifically held on to Alexandra's episode to come right before this. So if you're listening to this and you haven't heard Alexandra's smile and scratch framework and you want to kind of get like a preview, we won't have time to go in depth here because we already covered that kind of stuff. But I thought what would be super cool to do here is if you have heard the smile and scratch framework that Alexandra teaches that we covered in the last episode, you get to see kind of like a behind the scenes look of like what it looks like inside of Alexandra's brain as she does this process. Right. So, um, so maybe let's start to unpack a little bit. So you have this creative brief, you find out about curious being the angle that you want to explore, kind of talk us through a little bit about what your process was like as you kind of generated all this. And one thing I'll say before you answer that question, Alexandra went above and beyond. So this is simultaneously Alexandra packing and and, and talking good stuff about me, but I have to tell Alexandra gave me a hundred names, which is just insane. The fact that she went above and beyond and just like was, was so passionate about this project. So I'm just so grateful working with you, Alexandra. It's been such an amazing process, but yeah, I was, so I would encourage anyone, if you are looking to name your life purpose, like I was that you stop everything and you, you give Alexandra a call, but all that to say, let's, let's unpack a little bit about what was going on, uh, on, on your process as you started unpacking this creative brief. Okay, well, once I landed on the word curious, and I think I, I, yeah, I even, I circled back with, I asked you, right? Yeah. Is you it did, okay? yeah. I think you weren't sure if you should have curious in your name. And I'm like, no, sometimes if it just, if I just keep coming back to something, I know it's right. And so I, we agreed curious was the way to go. So I just started pairing other words with it. And I wanted interesting words. So one uh, that I came up with and just thinking about Brandon and what I know about him. And Brandon is such a rising star. <laughs> and I thought curiosity rising because mm-hmm. curiosity has always been because people, there's certain words that people want us to use and like elevate, elevation that we see that a lot because it's about mm-hmm. growth, but rising is a word that you don't hear very often. And, but it's cool because it does mean growth and, and, you know, elevation and all of that. So curiosity rising was one that I really liked. Um, Born curious, because I know that I'm pretty sure that's something that you just, you know, as a child, I'm sure you're an incredibly curious child, probably ask why, like your first word was probably why, 
<laughs> so yeah, I think it, I think I think it's Borgias was uh, one of the top contenders too. Just so you guys know, like you know, Alexandra revealed all these names that we had to go through and sort through all these, and the ones that she's bringing up now were the the final cut. And it's it was hard to kind of like choose it, but I also born curious was one of those really cool ones. Cause I do believe that we're all naturally born curious. Right. And so it's just kind of like the world that beats it out of us. And so we got to go back and find that, but anyways, yeah, keep going. <laughs> um, another word, I don't know if this was one of your favorites, but just trying to illustrate like what, like finding exciting words, I think is, is something or words that have a lot of energy and so one that I had was radical curiosity because we could use curious or curiosity. Um, so radical curiosity, because, you know, we, radical seems to be, you know, we've heard of radical transparency and all these other things. Mm -hmm. um, another one was chasing curiosity, because I like that, because that's what you're doing. You, you have this thirst for curiosity. You're just on this quest and you're chasing. And I know like there's, you know, you have your dream guest for your podcast, right? And so that's what you're chasing. Mm -hmm. And and I think people like to be chased, right? Yeah. Uh, and then um, curi curiosity matters or curious matters um, because matters, that's got the double meaning of, you know, it does matter that you're cur curious. It absolutely matters. And then these are matters of curiosity. So I thought that, that was one that I really liked. Um, and then another one was uh, there, I believe there was a book one time called The Creative Class, and I really like anyone that's you know a, a born creative, born curious. Like we we were proud of that, and I really like that book title, The Creative Class. So I thought The Curious Class could also be good, and then also for for learning purposes, class it has a nice has a nice uh, it's a nice short word for you know education. So yeah, yeah those and I'll just I liked. And I'll say this too, just another thing that was so cool in going through this, this process with you, which by the way, you can go to Alexandra's site, eatmyawards.com and you can find out this, I booked a name it ASAP session. So that's kind of the, the uh, official way that this was structured. But the cool thing about this, these names that you're hearing, just because I didn't choose it as the primary brand name, like these are going to probably fit in, in other places, right? Like, I'm just thinking this is off the top of my head. You had talked about like, um, the curiosity circle, right? Like that might be a really cool experience to put together. Like, what could that look like? Or I think you had kind of uncovered some merch tags, right? Like some things like I could wear a shirt that says dare to be curious. I think that was another one of those things that, that you came up with too. So that was just another really cool kind of insight in going throughout this process is yes, you, at the end of the day, you have to choose one, but like in, in exploring a topic that represents what you're trying to bring to the world, there's lots of other things that get created as a byproduct that could be leveraged in the future branding opportunities. Absolutely. Your name has great legs to it. And yeah, for anyone who listened to the previous episode, you know, legs are where you can extend your brand and you absolutely can. There's a lot of, yeah, because you think of all the things that need names, right? So the blog, the blog, the you know, if you're doing, I know you're going to do a mastermind, um, your, uh, even your wireless, you know, at, at eat my words, we call our office Candyland, And, uh, you know, the guest, the guest network has a, has a candy related name. The, the password's always candy related. So you can have fun with naming anything. And yeah, I know you have like levels of maybe there's a subscription site and there's levels of, of subscription, right? The, the good, better, best. Yep. 
Love that. So yeah, and I'm, I'm so excited to kind of create this world underneath this. I know you've got packages about like the kitchen sink and like the, the <laughs> you know, all the things related oh, just, to eating, which is super fun. <laughs> yeah, I love um, I have, for my online course, I have one called uh, the bare bones course. Just the course is called um, just the meat. <laughs> and then if you hire me with it for coaching and to help you with your name, it's called private chef. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So cool. So, so let's, <laughs> let's, um, what I would love to do is go down the rabbit hole that you went down to uncover beyond curious. So like, let's, let's talk about how you arrived at that particular one. Cause you're like, you're doing this, you know, you're trying to pair these interesting words. You're looking for things that are suggestive uh, memorable, the whole, the whole smile framework. So I would love to chase the rabbit hole that might have landed you at beyond curious specifically, if you could unpack that one. Well, beyond curious, I'm sure. So thesaurus is a great place to start. Um, there's not a lot of other words for curious. I, I, I knew that in my head, but I looked and yeah, there wasn't much there, but, um, you know, more, I knew you were more than curious. And so more, you know, that's probably where I found beyond, or it might've popped in my head. I don't remember that. Some, some names I remember the exact moment of, I was naming a post wedding brunch for a, like, they wanted a hipster name, the Hotel Vitali. And I asked my client, what do people drink at wedding brunches? And she said, Bloody Mary's. I said, that's your name, Bloody Married. And that became <laughs> the name of their wedding brunch. <laughs> Sometimes it pops in my head. But um, so looking in a thesaurus for words uh, is a really good place to start. One thing I did a lot of was look for alliteration with C because of curious. So normally you can go to a Scrabble dictionary and there's a bazillion of them online and you can, you can just Google, I call this Google storming where I'm just typing things into Google and finding, and now of course you can use chat GPT, but uh, it, it was on Google, you could type in, you know, words that start with C. And C is an, a great letter. There's so many words that start with C. And S is another letter. L, okay, bad letters, X, X, no X. Zobni, um, I think we talked about Z, that in the last Zobni, episode. Yeah, XLB and I, <laughs> terrible name. Um, but uh, yeah, Z and uh, L is a really hard letter, but C and S, those are an M, those are good ones. So I, instead of doing Scrabble dictionaries, I, I took it a step further with chat GPT and I asked, I prompted it to come up with a hundred positive words that start with C and then mm -mm. it did, but then they were too, a lot of them were too long. So I did a hundred positive one or two syllable words that start with C and look, chat GPT is not going to name your company for you, but if you know how to prompt it, you can, you can use it as a brainstorming tool. And it was super helpful there. I, I got a lot of, I got a lot of words there. Um, uh, so that I highly recommend. Another rabbit hole to go down is that's really fun is looking at images for ideas. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I use this as much with yours, but just looking at pictures, um, go to, you know, a picture says a thousand words. So go to Google images and, or go to a stock photo library and type in a concept that you're looking for. So I don't, I don't think I did. I don't think I did that with yours because yours was just I don't know, there were so many different directions to go in, but I wanted it to be exciting. I listened to a lot of podcasts and I wanted your title to be something that would attract listeners 
And people that are curious are probably a lot of them are beyond curious. So that to me just seemed like a magnet for attracting the right audience and just as important, the right guest. Yeah. Oh man, there's so much to unpack to it. I'll, I'll say too, why Beyond Curious really, really landed with me is because another really cool part about your brief is you ask for the personality of the name to come up with five to 10 adjectives that describe the personality of your brand. And the, the, of course I couldn't only come up with 10. So I think there's, you know, there's, there's probably a, there's probably a good version of going above and beyond. And like, there's a point where it's like, this became unfocused, but anyways, the, the, Alexander has you come up with like the most important ones in caps. So for me, the top three adjectives I came up with were magical, curious, and exclusive. And then I kind of came up with like subcategories underneath each one of those, but magical, I had kind of put wonder, awe, creative, fun, playful, extraordinary, adventurous, expansive, surprising, transformative, unique, innovative, imaginative, and clever. And what's super cool is I think I, I, what really stood out to me about the word beyond is beyond encapsulates all of that. Like when you think about beyond, you think about adventure, you think about exploration, you think about growth or pushing yourself or going above and beyond. So it's like beyond kind of hit all of that elements of what I was looking for is that, that kind of fun, adventurous, playful, non-serious component, but it's still not, it's still serious enough where it's not, taken not seriously it but it but it encapsulates that kind of magical element that i was looking for so that was like a huge oh my god that was amazing uh check mark for me when i saw the name beyond curious <laughs> oh thank you thank you yeah magic's the theme that we a lot of people but yeah it, it is a magical experience listening to your show um i'm looking at the list of names and yeah one when i was doing the the c the words that start with c cafe I had curiosity cafe and yeah. I thought like that's one of those names for you know that could be a good name for group hangout if you had something like that um or you know whatever calls that you know if you do like zoom sessions you could call it the curiosity cafe um so yeah I had curious collaborative curious collective curious creators curious cultivators yeah curiosity consumed Cult of curiosity. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of fun ones. Yeah. Amazing. That's great. And I, I just realized another thing that would be kind of cool to show behind the scenes too, now that we've talked about how your process works, some of the other names you came up with, like the rabbit hole that you specifically followed for beyond curious. Um, I thought, I think this would be a cool thing to explore, to show people both the inside of your process. And then also like a behind the scenes of how we chose beyond curious, but, um, choosing the final name, right? Like you, you kind of come up with like, you have some acid tests or you encourage people to come up with acid tests. So that was one of the ways that, that we had kind of narrowed this down a little bit. Um, but I guess, uh, anything that you would like to share about your process and then maybe, maybe specifically to choosing beyond curious about like how to narrow things down and then choose that, that final name at the end. Yeah. One, that's a good question. Uh, one thing that, that is good to ask yourself beyond the smile and scratch test, which is the 12 point name evaluation filter is you, yeah. Using it in a sentence. How does it sound? I always like to imagine myself at a conference with the, with a badge on, with the name on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, going to this food, fast food conference for, or quick serve retail, or quick serve restaurants. And I'm just thinking of having eat my words on my name badge, like 
like what a magnet that will be at that conference in particular because it's all food people. So yeah, how does that, and like Beyond Curious on a name back is a great conversation starter. So that's one way to think of it. Or, you know, if you're going to have, if you're selling a product, right? How are, you know, when we named Spoon Me Frozen Yogurt, that we chose that name because it had great legs. It, mm -hmm. you know, they had, you know, t-shirts like shut up and spoon me, like just fun. So yeah, how, how will it, th all of the different places your name will appear, start thinking about it there. That's a really good acid test in itself. Another thing that you had shared on, on our session that I didn't, I think you kind of shared it with me. I don't, I don't think I heard you share it inside of your book or somewhere else was kind of imagining like you have a club and you got this like flashing neon sign that's got your name above it. Like, and kind of imagining people walking into it. You want to maybe elaborate on that? Cause I think these kind of like visual tricks of imagining yourself in different scenarios to kind of wear the name quote unquote in different ways is really important in helping you decide. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. The 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 neon sign walking into a nightclub yeah beyond curious is 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 good uh but that that test is for when like if you were a hip nightclub you wouldn't have a sign in the window that said hip club right like that would be dumb like people would just be like roll their eyes and there would be no one trying to get in uh, where there's no mysteriousness or mystique it just tries too hard and a lot of times names try too hard so you if you have a hip club, other people need to be the ones that determine that. It's just like calling yourself a thought leader, like let other people call you a thought leader. Um, so that that idea of telling people who you are, it, you have to just be careful how you do it. Like some people are gonna, it's like Seattle's best coffee. Who made that determination? Or TCBY, <laughs> the country's best yogurt. Like really like let somebody else say that about you but don't say it about yourself and another one that people fall into is trust like they want trust in your name like would you buy a car from trusty Sid so you know think about these things so sometimes it can backfire and sound disingenuous or just you know inauthentic or they just they're just trying too hard yeah, it, it reminds me of, of Buddy the Elf and in, in Elf when he walks in, he's like, "World's best cup of coffee, congratulations!" It's <laughs> like the diner, and everybody's like, "What the hell?" <laughs> so yeah, I, I I love that, and I, I thought I think I just thought of another thing that would be interesting to show people because you were talking about like the importance of like basically showing, not telling another distinguishing thing that you had played with that you would, we'd explored a little bit. And that I had explored in previous names was this word visionary. And we talked about, we talked a little bit about how it's, it's an, it's an interesting word because to be called a visionary is a compliment, but like to call yourself a visionary almost sounds a little bit self aggrandizing. So like, but, but you and I kind of discovered that as we talked about it a little bit. So maybe share a little bit about yeah. that. No, that's, you're absolutely right. It does so, sound self-aggrandizing and yeah, don't call yourself a visionary. Like I, I have the opportunity to get my book in the hands of David Kelly, the founder of IDEO. And I signed the book to him yesterday and I wrote that you're a legend. That guy would never, and he is, he's iconic. He would never use those words to describe himself. So, yeah. you know, right. But we can say that about him. But he would never say, oh, I'm a legend. I'm an icon. Yeah, no. Let other yeah. people lay that praise on you. 
Yeah, and again, this is this is the cool this is the cool part about this is because again, I had been guys, I had been struggling with coming up with a name for so long. That's why when I when I found Alexandra's world, I was like, yes, I'm in. <laughs> Sign me up. Because another name that I was considering for a while was Legends of Impact, uh, and it, for that exact reason, where it's like to call yourself a legend or to identify as a legend is a weird thing. To have someone call you a legend is different, but like to, to call yourself a legend or to identify that. Whereas, and this has been the coolest thing for me about this curiosity thing is when I bring up beyond curious, or when I talk to someone about curiosity, their eyes light up and they're like, yeah, I'm curious. This is how curiosity has been in my life. Right. So it's like, it's way easier to identify from, from, from like an identity perspective that you're a curious human and how it's impacted your life. than a term like visionary or legend. So I think that's a huge lesson. It was, it was a huge lesson for me from a branding perspective, but also for anybody that's considering creating a name that would be an aspirational identity. In the past, I had kind of tried to come up with aspirational identity names, visionary, legends of impact, even seven figure millennials, I would toss underneath that category. But um, there's a fine line between creating an aspirational identity that doesn't wear well, for lack of a, a better term. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, for you, you, you made the right transition. Did you, did you talk about, have you talked anywhere about seven figure millennials yet and how you outgrew the name? Um, uh, we, we could talk about it. Um, uh, cause yeah, I, I, I did, it. I did. Yeah. I incorporated it a little bit, but we can for sure talk about it right here. Yeah. So maybe is there a specific place you want me to go with it? Yeah. Just you, a lot of people do outgrow their names and mm. I, it was that was a restrictive name right that was yes. the r and scratch um, yeah so it was because it... i'm not a millennial and i was like i don't know if i'm right for your podcast mm -hmm. right yeah so i have i have in i have our name at asap brief pulled up it says name dislikes list 10 brand names that you collectively <laughs> dislike the style of and why and the number one i put was seven figure millennials because here's here's been my experience is First of all, the spelling challenge, right? So like, this is part of the, the, the S and scratch, like people cannot spell the word millennial. There's two L's, there's two N's and there's an S at the end. So people don't know if there's an S at the end. So I've had, I had multiple times where people are like, oh, you have a podcast. Let me check it out. And I watched them pull up Apple podcasts and attempt at spelling it. And I just like, if that's happening as I'm sitting there as the host of the show, watching them that's the experience that everyone else is having. So like, that was a huge thing. It also, the millennial box, like you said, the majority of my listeners or my, my guests, I would say for sure are not the millennial age, but they're not. The, and I, and I want the show to be attractive. The name of the show to be attractive for the guests. Like they're the heartblood of my show, the people that I'm interviewing and pulling the insights from. Um, and then also I kind of outgrew the, 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 the fact, and this is something that I learned from you. It's like, I've heard in the past, it's like, it's better to be uh, clear rather than clever. And when I, I think I brought this up to you on our, our last interview and you're like, you can do both. Right. And so it's like seven figure millennials. There's too much explaining, like it's too much explaining to do about the shows, about prioritizing your happiness, health and relationships, which like requires explaining instead of you hear the name seven figure millennials and you would immediately think, okay, it's about, it's about business. It's about marketing and like all this kind of businessy stuff. When like, that wasn't what I was trying to, from the beginning, I was kind of trying to show, not tell and kind of like get the, what's the quote. It's like, sell them what they sell them what they want and give them what they need. That was kind of the idea for it, but it just created way too much 
confusion. Um, so anyways, there's, I could go on and on a little bit more, but that was, I, I felt, uh, trapped by that for a, a while. And so to be freed from that feels really good. <laughs> That's good. And it's not your personality. The name seven figure millennials to me sounds really salesy and you're mm -hmm. not one of those guys, you know, I'm not going to see your info, your, your ad on YouTube, you know, telling me how I'm going to make seven figures in my pajamas. Like you're not that <laughs> right. guy. Thank with, a, with a Lambo behind me or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. driving your Lambo in your pajamas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, no, and, and it feels so good. I, I said it in the beginning, Alexandra, but it's like uh, in Harry Potter, when Harry's choosing the wands uh, in Ollivander's shop, if you've seen that scene, it's like Ollivander gives him the first wand and he like blows some shit up with it. And then he gives him the second wand and he does the same thing and then hands him the third wand and it just starts glowing. And that was kind of, if if <laughs> that's literally what the name it, name it ASAP session was like, if anybody wants to know, it's like visiting Ollivander's, Alexandra comes in, in her Candyland office on a, on a, <laughs> on a ladder and hands you a name and everything starts glowing. That's the personification of what happens. But, but it feels really good. Cause it's like, I, Seven Figure Millennials took me to where the show needed to be. It taught me all the lessons I needed to learn. Um, but it, it, at the end of the day, it was the wrong, it's not the right wand. It's not the right vehicle for me to move forward. And so I uh, just appreciate you so much for helping me uh, get unstuck there. It's been really cool. Oh, I, I'm so happy that like, cause it was, it was a little scary. Cause you were like, you, you, I knew you invested, you were investing a lot in the brief and this was like so important to you, like much more important than most people put emphasis on their name. And so, and I, I know people, you know, so it's like, oh gosh, I got a really good job. So yeah. Yeah. A lot of pressure, but I, I, always, well, perform. I always perform. I'm not always a circus animal where I perform on command um, and come up with things just off the top of my head, but like bloody married, but uh, yeah, I, I, I try to over deliver for people. Amazing. Well, you absolutely did. I'm so grateful for you. And I guess any final things that you'd want to say on this topic of this transition that you'd want to share with anyone before we close uh, things off? No, just if you do change your name and I have a, uh, I call it the, the mother of all uh, spreadsheets. It's the ultimate name change rebrand checklist. And it's every place you could ever possibly need to change your name that you might not remember. Um, and it's never too late to change your name. Look, Brandon's doing it. We just renamed a hundred year old bank. It was First National Bank of Syracuse, but they were in Syracuse, Kansas. Um, it, they were all about helping me people make their dr financial dreams come true or their dreams come true. And so we rebranded them Dream First, which, uh, you know, still has the first from First National yeah. Bank, but it's Dream First and like super aspirational and a feel good name. And so, yeah, it's never too late to change your name. I love it. Well, thank you so much for not only coming on the show for helping me name, but to come back for a behind the scenes showcase of how Beyond Curious was born. So this has been so much fun, Alexandra. I appreciate you so much. And you and I will be talking very soon. Awesome. Thank you, Brandon. There you have it, the tale of how Beyond Curious was born. How do you like that accent? So I know we've been on a really long journey, and but you are still listening, which means that you are somebody who is going beyond curious yourself. You are clearly someone that is passionate about uncovering who you are at your core and building a life around that. And so to wrap things up, I want to tell one final story. I feel like I've said that already, but um, I just can't help but going deep. And I really want to send this off in a way that uh, launches us into this new world of beyond curious. 
So I would love to tell you about an experience I had 19 days ago at the time of this recording that to me felt like the birth of Beyond Curious. So just for context, I ran a marathon in October 2022 and I did it because I hated running and I was curious what would happen if I pushed myself. I was literally the kid in elementary school whenever we had to do the mile, I was one of the last ones, I hated it. So I pushed myself, I finished this marathon and the very next day I texted my friend Luke Grinke and I was like, hey man, it's actually something I've been thinking about doing this thing called the Spartan Ultra. It is, it's been on my bucket list. I didn't know if I'd ever be able to get to it. It's 50K, 60 obstacles, um, are you down? And he says, yes. And he pretty much responded by sending me a screenshot of the tickets. And because Luke has run an Ironman and just has all these crazy friends, he finds five other insane humans to do this with us. So I started training like crazy. The peak of the training was 1,000 walking lunges, 150 burpees on one day. Another day was a 24 mile trail run. And I started training in probably probably January. The race was May 6th. And about a month before the race, I start running into IT band problems. So for those of you who don't know what the IT band is, it's the hip. It runs from the hip to just below the outside of your knee. It's this band and it has an attachment to the outside of your kneecap. And so I was doing this three hour and 30 minute workout. And towards the end of this training, it was like this switch flipped and this pain started hitting the left knee and it was pain with every single step. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And after doing the research, finding it that it was an IT band problem, I made this call to stop training the month before and try to heal before the race. So it actually involved a lot of, uh, it's due to an imbalance in your, uh, it's usually due to an imbalance of like not having strong enough glutes, not strong enough hips. So I went to a physical therapist and ended up doing lots of glute and hip strengthening prior to the race. And so this was, right around the time where I was having my session with Alexandra and, and she came up with the name for beyond curious. So she comes up with beyond curious a week later, I'm going to compete in the Spartan ultra I'm injured. And as we're approaching the race, everybody is monitoring the weather. And I should also say this is in Montana. So it is in Montana. I'm from Wisconsin. It's on 9,000 feet of elevation gain in the mountains. And so it's, there's so many variables at play that we don't know what's going to happen. So as we're approaching the race, we're closely monitoring the weather and it's not looking good. And we pick up our packet the day before it's uh slight, the day was raining the day before we get there and outside of the packet, actually, let me go pick up the packet. I, Cause I'm going to read it to you. Okay, here it is. I'm unfolding the packet right now. I, on, the, on the back, on the front, it says 8186, which is my number. And then on the back, it says, uh, warning, the Spartan race is a dangerous and demanding extreme sporting slash racing event. There is a real possibility that you may die or be catastrophically injured. Each participant voluntarily and knowingly accepts and assumes all risk of participating in the event. So, <laughs> so it's raining. We pick up our packets, we get our ultra gear, and uh, we are also reading about and trying to discover as much as possible about the course. There is a maximum slope incline of 34.9 degrees. So going up at a 30, essentially a 35 degree incline, there is a maximum decline going down a hill of 40%. And the way a Spartan ultra works is that the ultra ultra runners run on the same day that people running the beast race do. So the beast is part of the course. It's 13 miles and 30 obstacles. And so to do the ultra, you actually run the beast course twice 
and there's an extra loop designed for just the ultra runners. So eventually the, the race day comes after all this uh, worrying, all this not knowing, and the forecast for the day is 41 degrees and raining. So we get there, we're at the starting line, and even to get into the area to take off, you have to kind of crawl underneath barbed wire and uh, very Spartan-like. They put some bones from animals on the ground. There's a fire. It's raining. You hear the sizzle of the, the raindrops hitting the fire as you crawl underneath the barbed wire, and then you get into this corral with all the other crazy idiots that are doing this race. They hype us up. We say, aru, aru, and we begin our journey, and um, every... Every single step was a part of the journey, right? So every lap, so remember there was two laps. Each lap brought its own challenge. So in lap one, I had no idea if my IT band would just start flaring up and I'd have to suffer through miles with pain in every single step. And the guys I ran with wanted to leverage the momentum of a downhill to go fast, but I didn't want to put the extra strain on my knee. So I was taking it slow. So I was at the, the first lap. I was at the very back of the pack behind one of the guys that was running the race that literally had a torn ACL. <laughs> and it, it, I, I, it was triggering all these demons in my head of the primal, like, holy shit, I'm getting left behind. And, uh, I, and, and I'm just kind of like wondering, like, am I just going to have to do this whole thing by myself? And it was just when this thing clicked in my brain after, remember, this is the session after Alexandra Watkins. And I'm like, I literally have to go beyond curious right now. I literally have to go see what I'm made of and figure this out. So luckily on mile seven, after trailing behind them for lots of this, they all got hit with cramps. <laughs> and, and I didn't, my cramps came later around mile 13. But the other thing that's interesting to note about this, this first lap is, um, everything I had been doing to train my grip strength for these obstacles, all the monkey bar related stuff. You know, in my training, I hit almost a three minute dead hang. It was all obsolete because anything grip related was totally fucked. <laughs> uh, it's because it was raining and everything was super, super slippery. And it also made climbing up high stuff. They had this, this obstacle called an A-frame. I don't know how high it is, it is off the ground. I would say maybe 30 or 40 feet. Normally, I'm not intimidated by that. But when you can't grab onto the bar and you're at the top, it makes it significantly frightening. And uh, especially you know, add that in where, where you're getting hit with massive cramps sitting on top of these obstacles in the rain. And like every single time I hit one of those things where I literally happened to me, I was getting this massive cramp. I literally was thinking to myself, I have to go beyond curious. I have to go beyond curious. And the other, the other kind of funny thing about this, this first lap too, or I guess the entire race, but this is in the Hills of Montana, uh, big fork, Montana. We were supposed to be seeing stunning views. And you can imagine with 9,000 feet of elevation gain, there's points where you're up pretty high. You're supposed to be overlooking the mountains and the lake. And we didn't even get that reward because at the top, you're just stuck looking out at cloudy and grossness because it's raining. And so eventually we finish the first lap and you get to access what's called your transition bucket at the halfway point. It's actually past the halfway point. And this is where you have your extra gear, your nutrition for lap two. And I'd heard in the past, the transition is where your dreams go to die You're, I mean, you're at 17 miles at this point. At this point, I was, everybody, the moment that you stopped, you had uncontrollable shivering because your body wasn't moving anymore. It's raining, it's miserable. And again, another point where I had to say, I have to go beyond curious. So um, this is actually funny and ironic. The, 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 the part, one of the 
main parts where I got injured was during transition. I say it kind of jokingly because I was desperately trying to open my Pedialyte and I was using my knuckle to open the, the bottle and I cut myself. <laughs> so it was the only time I really bled a lot during the Spartan race. I cut myself opening my freaking Pedialyte bottle. But anyways, we get out of transition and then we go to lap two. And by the time the second lap comes, the beast racers, remember I said there's the beast and the ultra, the beast races are starting to run now because we started earlier and it's raining and more and more people out on the course is causing the, the course to deteriorate. So it just to try to get you to imagine this, it's like straight up running through rivers of chocolate pudding. Like it's that gross. You're soaked. Like you're, and, and imagine too going on that 40% decline grade. Literally there was points where you're going down a hill. I saw little people just like sit on their butt and scoot, slide their ass down the whole hill. I grabbed a stick to kind of try to act as a break to not eat, eat shit <laughs> as I'm running. And then, um, uh, around mile 20, my knee starts hurting and what was surprising, it was not the knee with the IT band issue. It was my right knee on the inside. And even though it was hurting, I was grateful for that knee pain. I was like, if this is all I have to deal with, the, the pain I was experiencing was nothing compared to the IT band. And I was still waiting for the IT band to flare up because in my training, what happened is the IT band would actually start causing issues after mile 13. So I'm seven miles past mile 13, just waiting for the, 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 for it to hit me. And it's funny because one of the worst obstacles that people didn't look forward to was this water crossing where you had to literally cross water no duh. And it's, it's freezing. And it was actually a relief because it was an ice bath for your legs, at least for me. Um, and, and of course they're actually, because it was raining so much, it, there was these unintentional water crossings that didn't even, wasn't even supposed to be inside of the course. And on this second lap, none of the volunteers know what's going on. And we kept being told over and over, we're just a mile or two away from, from being done. We heard it like three times. And finally, we hear the sounds of the music and we knew we were approaching the finish line because we could hear the music being played. And uh, we all climbed over that final obstacle and we all kind of gathered together. It was it was uh, actually two ended up the, the guy with a torn ACL, <laughs> Nick, I, which which is freaking crazy that he was running this with a torn ACL. But anyways, um, there was two guys that were behind us uh, and the, the rest of us were all together and we all uh, finished that last obstacle and the last, well, I shouldn't say the last obstacle. Technically the last obstacle is jumping over the fire. So we, we climbed over this A-frame. We all wait for everyone to hit the A-frame and we're all waiting, huddling together to jump over this fire together. And we jump over the fire. It was freaking epic. We crossed the finish line and it was one of the highlights of, of, of this experience for me. And literally the definition of what it is like to go beyond curious. And so here's the even funnier part. I cross the finish line and there's a volunteer and this, this, the volunteer points at this thing on the desk and he's like, do you want to earn this for, and, and you can run an extra mile to earn this. And I thought he was joking. Like we had just run 33 miles at this point in 41 degrees raining in the hills of Montana, we're in pain. And, and I thought he was joking. And so I was like, haha, that's funny. And then I went to go collect my medal. But then I see Cole, who's one of the guys we, we work with. He starts taking off onto the course again. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? And then I realized that the volunteer was serious. They, they literally offered this extra medal called the extra mile, where if you did the extra mile after running the ultra course, you got this extra medal. And, uh, so of course 
I saw that that was a thing. I'm like, literally another opportunity to go beyond curious, to go beyond even more. So yes, I accepted the challenge. We did that extra mile after finishing the ultra beast. Uh, and then we crossed down and we, I got the, the medal sitting in front of me right now. So at the end of the day, the amount that we ran was 34 and a half miles. It took us 11 hours, 32 minutes and 10 seconds, 9,041 feet of elevation gain. And we found out afterwards, it was the highest, one of the highest DNF rates in recent history. This came from an email that we got from uh, Spartan uh, that, that via email. It says, if you attended our tri-state New Jersey race the weekend before heading out to Big Fork, you might've con been convinced you were having deja vu in Montana. Low forties with an even colder wind chill, persistent and soaking rain and mud that made every obstacle a gamble, not of efficiency, but of courage with many racers enthusiastically suffering through what they called hypothermia hands during this iconic densely wooded trifecta weekends race. The infamous ultra 50 K featuring formidable elevation gain in darkness handed out one of the largest DNF did not finish counts in recent years and not at all for a lack of trying. It's that hard. I tried emailing Spartan to find out what the official DNF rate was. They wouldn't give it to me, but my mom was watching and she said she was watching like online tracking us. And she said she saw 180 people at the start line for the open heat that I was a part of and 96 people finished, which would make it a 47% DNF rate. And, you know, I was trying to just finish this damn thing. I had no, no concern in my mind of what place I was finishing in. I just wanted to get it, but uh, ended up finishing as number 30 of the 96 that finished an eighth out of the 20 in my age group in the open. And it was the hardest physical challenge of my life. But for me, above everything, it felt like the start of Beyond Curious. It was the definition of going beyond curious, wondering what you're made of, wondering if you could do something. And at the end of the day, making that jump to go and figure it out, to go beyond curious. So with that final story in mind, to conclude this saga, I just want to tell you, if you have been a listener for Seven Figure Millennials for a while now, I am so grateful for you. If you are listening to this at way some point in the future and you decided to see what the heck this is about and you opted for this version of this episode where you've listened to the entire thing, you are somebody that is beyond curious. You are beyond curious about who you are at your core. And for that, I am so grateful for you. And I'm so excited to embark on this next journey with you as together we dare to go beyond curious. I love you. I appreciate you. And we'll talk to you soon.